Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday morning in the Delaware Valley. I'm Glenn Macnow, along with my pal Mike Sealski. Three hours of fun and frivolity here. we got a lot going on for you today, including some disappointment for the Phillies. Uh, interviews coming up during this show. We're going to talk to our friend Tom McCarthy and John Clark. Um, we're going to look ahead to certainly tomorrow night's game. Excuse me. Monday night's game. Eagles-Minnesota Vikings. But, Mike, I just want to, I want to put a bow on last week as we do and look at some developments in the NFL as we head to week two, uh, starting tomorrow with tomorrow's slate of games. Can we agree, Mike Sielski, that nobody was overly impressed by the Eagles' 38-35 victory over Detroit? Well, the offense certainly was played well, but not Jonathan Gannon's defense. We'll get into the specifics, but just kind of your general impression as we move past that. Yeah, well, first of all, good morning, Glenn. Good morning to everybody. Uh, yeah, I would I would agree with that. Uh, having been there in Ford Field for the game, it was not a great beginning for the Eagles. They were cl- clearly off balance at the start uh, by what the, the Lions were doing offensively. They struggled to adjust to the noise inside the Dome Stadium. It was really loud inside Ford Field. They got their bearings. You saw what the offense kind of sort of was last season in that they ran for a whole mess of yards. You saw what the offense could be with A.J. Brown catching oh. 10 passes. Um, and as I, as I said to Angelo the, the other morning, I think, uh, creating instant urban renewal throughout Detroit every time he ran with the football in his hands, just mm. knocking over uh, cornerbacks and safeties. Um, but the defense is a concern. And you know, we're going to get into this where you talk about week one being weird and, you know, not necessarily an arbinger of things to come. That defensive performance got everybody thinking about the Eagles defense last season. Right. It, while it may not be a harbinger of things to come, it was a extension of what we saw last year, yes. which was troublesome, which we didn't expect. But let's talk about what week one means before we kind of look at that, which is to me, the point of week one is just like survive and don't lose. And if we look at week one, well, number one, the Cowboys lost. They didn't score a touchdown. I understand they played Tampa, mm-hmm. but they didn't score a touchdown. And they lost their starting quarterback for probably half the season. Yeah. They're yeah. cooked. They are not good. It's, it's one of those situations. It feels like with the Cowboys, 
their regular seasons go one of two ways. Either they are 12 and 4, 13 and 3, expectations reach their absolute height, and then they lose in the playoffs, or Dak Prescott gets hurt or something happens where they just completely fall apart. And if you're going to be without Dak Prescott for four to six weeks, I'm leaning toward the latter happening to the Cowboys. Yeah, I think you're season. right. All right. The Rams lose at home by 21. Again, it's to the Bills, but the Rams were at home, and they're defending Super Bowl champions. That was a horrible. Matt Stafford looked terrible. They, they look terrible up and down. Yep. Niners lose to the Bears. <laughs> who we thought I like were the way like, you said that. Well, I mean, uh, to me, the Bears were going into the season considered one of the three or four worst teams in the league. They beat the they beat excuse me they beat the yeah they beat the Niners mm-hmm. in Week One, and the Packers score one touchdown and lose twenty three to seven to the Vikings. Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of teams that were expected to be contenders in the NFC, you know, took it on the chin. Now. I don't want to make too much of it. Again, the Cowboys are a separate story because they lost their quarterback. But to me, I, I now look, because they don't play any preseason, and particularly Eagles didn't play any preseason, It's we agree that teams are going to take two, three, four, however many weeks to find their stride. And if you can avoid losing in that time, good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I th- I think Survive and thrive or whatever I, it is. Yeah. Survive in advance. Right. I think that's largely true. Uh, and as I said earlier, to me, that's why if you're going to take anything concerning out of that game against the Lions, it is the defense because it continued a pattern that we had already seen. The, the offense, you can see things can be different. You know, Miles Sanders was running between the tackles with more aggressiveness and vigor. Jalen Hurts was able to throw the ball down the field in a way he didn't often do last season. The offensive line had its moments where it wasn't great but yeah. on the whole was okay mm. those things are all good the defense though really it bothered me to see that because the Eagles made so many improvements and added so many so much talent I should say to that side of the ball and they sacked Jared Goff once after he drops a snap they're letting the Lions run all over them they're mm-hmm. letting Jared Goff get into a rhythm uh, it just it was concerning, and it looked like this is the Jonathan Gannon defense we've seen okay. for 19 games. All right, so that's the question. Can we write that off to, as we just said, first game of the season? Nobody played at all during the preseason. It's going to take a while to get this thing in rhythm. Or is it, my God, you give Jonathan Gannon five new starters and he's playing the same soft, bad defense? I, I don't think we can write it off now, um, as I said, because it looked so much like what we've already seen. Jonathan Gannon's been the Eagles' defensive coordinator for 19 games, including the playoff loss to Tampa Bay last year. The Eagles have given up 27 points or more in nine of those games, nine out of 19. And Mm -hmm. if you look at the 10 where they didn't give up 27 points, some of those quarterbacks were not exactly, you know, top of the (laughs) top of the heap kind of quarterbacks. So uh, if Jared Goff is going to put up 35 against you, boy, you know, you think ahead to Monday night and Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson. And by the way, Kirk Cousins is always great against the Eagles. Yeah. Has the highest career quarterback rating against the Eagles of any quarterback ever with 75 or more throws. Doesn't sound good. No, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> doesn't sound good. No. And well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll highlight the game later, but a lot of people talked about Jordan Davis and, you know, how he was, why was he only in the field for 21 plays? And when he was, the defense didn't give up rushing yards. And when he wasn't, they didn't. And then there was talk later in the week, well, they played different formation. But the guy that I was surprised to see no impact from 
None was Hassan Reddick. Yes. None who had one pressure and basically was invisible. I, I literally at one point checked to make sure I had his uniform number correct because I'm thinking, why am I not seeing Is he in the game? What is he doing? He was in the game. He was doing nothing. He, I talked to him after that game uh, in the locker room, and he said he didn't feel like he played badly. He felt like what he called weird, quote-unquote, stuff happened out there. He mm. thought he would have had a couple of sacks had he not slipped and fallen on his way to the quarterback. I saw a, a statistic. I forget whether this was Pro Football Focus or another uh, website that said Gannon had Reddick blitzing about 20% of his snaps. Yeah. Which I think as we've talked about, like that's a win for the opposing offense. Anytime, excuse me, I should say, had him dropping into coverage on twenty percent. Yeah, snaps. I was I was going to say the opposite. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Sorry about that. Which is a win for the off the opposing offense. Anytime Hassan Reddick is not on a search and destroy mission after the quarterback. So again, burden of proof here is on Jonathan Gannon to prove to show that what we saw Sunday is not the defense that the Eagles are going to put out there every week. Right, and now you have a Minnesota Vikings team which has. Uh, more and more talented offensive weapons than the Detroit Lions do. As we mentioned, Kirk Cousins. Um, you know, he, A lot of people are Kirk Cousins detractors, but he's a volume quarterback. Yep. He puts up numbers year in and year out, and he's going to he's gonna do that again this year, hopefully not this Saturday. Uh, they have Dalvin Cook, who's a top running back. Mm-hmm. I guess DeAndre Swift's a top running back, too, as we saw yeah. on that first or second carry of the game. But Dalvin Cook is no slouch. And they got Justin Jefferson, who was the only guy in the NFL last week to have more receiving yards than A.J. Brown. Let's put that at 184 of them. Wow. Wow. He's he's one of the three or four best receivers in the NFL, and the Eagles are going to have their work cut out for him. I'm, I'm curious to see what they do. Do they just put Darius Slay on him? You know, How do they roll coverages to Jefferson? What are you sacrificing if you pay too much, quote-unquote, too much attention? To Justin Jefferson, I, I think the Eagles have their work cut out for them on Monday night. I really do. All right. One other thing that came out this week that everybody got uh, their – what is it, panties in a bunch? Is that the cliche? I think, yeah. Okay. That's, that's the appropriate way to put it. For the it. record, I don't wear panties. <laughs> Good to uh, know. Nonetheless, <laughs> which was when um, Jonathan Gannon did his news conference early in the week. He did not help his case when he, he talked about how they make the game plan. And he said – Quote, we say, hey, we want to come out of the game kind of looking like this. And we do that with the head coach and with Howie. But then there is always room for, as you go through the game, how the game goes. You don't know how it's going to unfold. There's one word in that sentence that drew everybody's attention and raised eyebrows through the roof. It was, two words, with Howie. Yes. Um. I didn't get as upset about it as everybody because I would expect the general managers of most NFL teams to sit in on those meetings during the week. What people infer in this town because of past experience and stories that have come out over time is that, well, how he's sitting there, you know, drawing plays on his notepad saying, go with this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. What I do think is happening, though, and why I think people – have their antennae poised or are interested in this and worried about it is that Doug Peterson ended up leaving here in part because he felt like he didn't have the freedom and autonomy to be able to make certain decisions about his coaching staff. It's mostly the staff. Yeah, about week-to-week stuff, things of that nature. Nick Sirianni and Jonathan Gannon 
don't have that kind of cachet yet, right? They're, they're in their second seasons as head coach and defensive coordinator. They obviously haven't won a Super Bowl. So the idea of Howie weighing in, you know, th- there's going to be a back and forth there. And that's to be expected. That's the way the Eagles do things. I think the concern comes up as time goes on. How overbearing or not overbearing is Howie when he weighs in? And are they going to end up making decisions related to week two, week three, week four, that Howie has more say than the head coach does? Well, do you, Mike Sielski, superstar columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer, Twitter warrior, do you believe that Howie Roseman is involved to the point where he is telling coaches how many snaps a guy can play, which relates to the Jonathan Gannon stuff that came out. Not Jonathan Gannon, excuse me, the Jordan Davis. Mm-hmm. relates to the Jordan Davis stuff that came out earlier this week, that he's influencing the game plan beyond making a suggestion, that he is choosing personnel. Do you think Howie is, Howie's nose is in it too much? I don't think there's any evidence of that yet. Um so, no, my, my answer to your question would be no. Again, I think the concern that people have is will Howie eventually become too involved? Mm-hmm. And, and will Nick Sirianni and Jonathan Gannon, if he's still here, bristle at that over time? Yeah, well, I need Jonathan Gannon. I, I agree with what you said, but I need Jonathan Gannon. To me, all the pressure's on him. Oh, it yeah. really is. Yes. We haven't even mentioned Jalen Hurts yet, by the way, who had, a, I thought, a solid game. He's still... There are plays when, when, and I'm just watching on my TV, but there are plays when I'm looking at the replay, I'm looking at it, and I'm seeing, like, that second read, you might want to go there. Mm-hmm. But all in all, I cannot complain about the game. He, they would not have won the game without Jalen no, Hurts. No, they would not have. So, uh, I'm not going to complain He saved about their that. bacon on a couple of third downs just by running the ball. Yes, and, okay. Uh, 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. We'd love to have you join the conversation. One more thing, and this was surprising to me. Um, after the Eagles won last week, and we said um, the Cowboys lost, the Niners lost, the Rams lost, the Packers lost. Vegas is a funny place. Oh, yeah. Vegas is a very reactionary place. <laughs> well, it's based on the reaction of the fans. That's yes. why it's reactionary. All of a sudden, the Eagles now have the second best odds to get to and win the Super Bowl of any team in the NFC. That was fast. Yeah, that that is fast, and I think it's a little premature. Well, let me give you this movement, okay? Uh, based off of the win, and probably more so to the injury to Dak Prescott, this is the movement in odds from last week to now to win the Super Bowl. I'll go with, first of all, after the Cowboys. <laughs> Cowboys' chances to win, this is to win the Super Bowl, went from 25-1 to 1 to 50-1. to 1. Understandable. Cowboys' uh, chances to win the division went from well, I'll give it to you, plus 155, which is 31 to 20 if you want to do the math. Mm-hmm. It's a plus 575. So it dropped whatever, 300% or yeah. whatever if you do the math. The Eagles' chances to win the Super Bowl went from 20 to 1 to 14 to 1 in one week. Week 1. We just said that week 1 is like fluky. All it took was beating one of the worst teams in the NFL, apparently, to move their odds up. It's, it's well, amazing because everybody else works. lost. Yeah. Because everybody else lost. The Eagles' chances to win the division – Went from six to five, mm. right? Just on the other side of even money, to one to two. So now they're the odds-on favorite by a by lot. lot. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Look, I don't know that I'm buying it. I, I'm not buying that yet either. <laughs> I, I don't see any other team that's going to win the division, right? Unless something weird happens, right? I mean, the Giants look good week one. Okay, mm-hmm. let's, let's see how we look Wa- after Washington that. Washington looked good. Week yeah, one. yeah. Let's we've see. been seeing the ups and downs with Wentz, right? 
Right. I, but look, you preach or me choir here. Like, as you said, week one is, is kooky and nutty, and we need to see three or four games before we get to a point where we can say, all right, these are the realistic expectations for the Eagles. This is how this season is shaking out. Yes, the Cowboys are going to be terrible without Dak. Oh, okay, the Rams figured it out with Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, th- those numbers are – that really strikes me because Vegas is usually astute about this stuff. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I That really surprised me to see the odds change that much based on a 38-35 win over the Detroit Lions, I, even with all those other teams. I as you entirely said, agree, but – I guess I'll take. I, hey. well, doesn't really make it any better or worse, no, right? No, and then it's just a snapshot. What happens if Kirk Cousins throws for 350 yards and three touchdowns? Uh, you and they go end to up 50 one to, one. Right, go to 50 to one. Yeah, I guess so. Yep, get your bets in early. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Let's go to Gwynn Valley. Talk to Warren. Start us out. Hey, Warren. Hey, Mike. Hey, Glenn. How you doing? Doing great. Hey, Warren. Um, hey, Glenn. Uh, Mike. Um, you know, Philadelphia is. You know. Born and bred a defensive city, uh, football-wise, and um, it, it's no wonder Philadelphia fans are upset with the way the defense has been under Jim Schwartz and and now, um, where it, it's just not measuring up to what we're used to and what we expect out of our team. And um, my concern is this is going to be uh, potentially death by committee instead of. A Jim Johnson or, um, uh, you know, a, a great Bud Carson, you know, with credentials, people with credentials that actually know what they're doing and they wouldn't put up with meddling from anybody else and would have to have the autonomy to, you know, take full charge of what they want to get out of their players. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would say this, Warren, I think the, the bigger concern right now isn't necessarily that uh, Gannon doesn't have autonomy. Uh, he's getting to do what he wants to do. He wants to run this Vic Fangio multiple system that the Eagles are running on defense. To me, the bigger issue is, is he taking the talent that he has and maximizing it? And I'm not seeing that yet. I, I agree with you. And it, it looks um, it looks very confusing out there, albeit that they didn't practice, we know, and albeit that it's the first game. But if he doesn't, you know, get these players to, for example, uh, you know, check Justin Jefferson at the line of scrimmage, you have, I think, five yards to, you know, kind of check him and, you know, challenge him to, you know, get off his block. He's going to be free running all over the place. Yeah, they're going to be in big trouble. And if they don't. They're going to be in big trouble from the first. uh, I hear you. Warren, thank you for the call. Um I think you had the line a couple of weeks ago. They're 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 playing the cornerbacks or the safeties halfway to. They're they're putting them in the Jetro lot. The yeah. Jetro lot. That's it. That was uh, good. Yeah, and and it, that's my question slash concern about Gannon. And the example I've used uh, a couple of times this past week was, and Warren mentioned Jim Johnson. Jim Johnson came here, and Brian Dawkins was here, and he said that guy's special. What do I have to do to maximize Brian Dawkins as an asset on my defense? I covered the Jets for a couple of years when Darrell Revis was the number one cornerback in the league, and the Jets literally said, that guy can cover half the field, and we will work our defense from that truth. I don't see Gannon saying, here's Hassan Reddick, Mm-mm. or here's Jordan Davis, not to elevate Jordan Davis to that, to that level yet, but 
what do I have to do to maximize those guys? Yeah. He seems wedded to the scheme more than the talent. I entirely agree. It was week one. Hassan Reddick was invisible. We got 16 games to go, but yeah. the, the defense was a little bit alarming. Didn't I, like it at all. No, me neither. All right. Love to hear from you. 215-592-9494. We will get into the Phillies, particularly when we have Tom McCarthy as a guest at 11 o'clock. Uh, we have a great moment to relive for this week in Philadelphia sports history with two of our favorite former Eagle quarterbacks. Uh, John Clark will also join us to talk some Eagles. Coming up next, week one results, the stupid football bet. Mike is glo- Go ahead, gloat. I, I was just going to say, I don't think the bet is stupid at this point. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, you're tasting that steak dinner already, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Medium rare. Yeah. 215-592-9494. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now. Saturday morning, 94 WIP. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. All right, Mike, let's get to it. Last week, you and I finalized our stupid football bet of the year tradition. Carried on from all my years with Ray, where we find something completely inconsequential to the outcome of the season for the Philadelphia Eagles. We make a bet. In the end, the loser takes the winner out for dinner. Also takes a couple of producers, Dan Wilson, smiling broadly because he gets <laughs> to go for free. Uh, and and we gotta, we'll got to figure out what restaurant we're going to do it. That'll come along as we do it. Chick-fil-A. I'm losing already, but we'll get to that <laughs> in a moment. And the bet basically, I'll give the people the short version. The basically relates to kickoff and punt returns. If the Eagles do something Good to spectacular on a kickoff or punt return. Oh, I can say it. A punt return over 20 yards mm-hmm. or a kickoff return that goes beyond the 40-yard line. Right. I get a point. Mm-hmm. You get a point if? If they fumble or muff a punt or a kickoff uh, or I believe the kickoff is not returned past the 20-yard line. Correct. So there we are. So there we are. And by the way, everybody said, oh, you're going to lose, Glenn. Yeah. Yeah, you got no shot at this. Which well, which sets me up for if I don't win this bet, then my entire football acumen is under question well, and you know, suspicion at that point. We call it the stupid football bet for a reason. No, I, okay. I take these things seriously. Anyway, first game, you got one early on a kickoff return that didn't make it to the 20. Yeah, I was feeling good. And then I got a point because the Lions tried for an onside Thank you, Dan Campbell. And so it's one to one. Yeah. And that, you know. And I'm what? sitting in the press box in Ford Field trying to concentrate on the game because I have a, a column to write on deadline and my phone just keeps going bzz, bzz, and I, I oh, look yeah. at it and that's a point for me. Yeah. Glenn stupid Mack football now. bet takes, yeah. Well, yeah. stupid football bet takes on a life of its yes, own. Yes, it does. And so, you know, I'll get out of week one with a one to one tie. That seems okay. And then. There's three minutes and 51 seconds left to go. The Lions score to make it a three-point game. They decide to kick it off kind of short, the old squibberoo, and here's what happens. Here is the kick. It is high, and it is coming down to Quez Watkins at the 15. who runs to the 20 and slides down. That was kind of unusual. Well, it was unusual for more reasons than one. One is he slid down and took a knee. Two is... He didn't make it to the 20. No, he did not. He made it to the 19. Thank if you, If he had Quez. made it to the 20, Merrill, I wouldn't be down a point. <laughs> I didn't get a chance. Oh, I was uh, uh, at the Eagles uh, practice facility at the Novacare Complex, I guess Thursday, uh, and I saw Quez in the locker room. I did not get a chance to shake his hand and thank him for giving me that point. 
Uh, but I will make a point of doing that this coming week. So I am down two to one after week one. Yeah. Largely due to Quez Watkins, who's a guy I like a lot. Hey, you know, I'm hoping to get a one-on-one with Michael Clay, the Eagles special teams coordinator. Oh, yeah? Maybe he can factor this into his thinking week yeah, to week. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have access to these people, Glenn. Yeah, I can yeah. I can make things happen. Yeah, good luck with that. Anyway, <laughs> you are up two to one after week one. We will keep the running tab on that. Let's go to Sal in Marlton. Hello, Sal. Hey, Glenn. How you doing? Hey, Mike. Welcome to a great show. Thank you, Sal. You're welcome. Hey, uh, Philly's point, over the last couple of years, I would always get frustrated because they might win the, the you know, against the good teams and then, you know, lose like three out of four to the Marlins or, you know, teams that were cellar dwellers. And that was frustrating because those losses really killed them. This year, it seems like the only teams they are handily beating are the teams sub-500. Um and so, I mean, I love the team, too. I like the makeup of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody can use more pitching, and I certainly think the Phillies can. But this year it seems to be they can't win the games against the Mets and the, the Mets Braves. The Mets and the Braves, they've yeah. just been, been horrible against, I don't know, the season-long record. Well, I know the Mets, it was horrible, I imagine. It's similarly against the Braves, and they play the Braves a ton uh, this weekend. They play them next weekend, and – yeah, you know, I don't – they're not better than the Braves or Mets, but I really want them to hold their own. It has been difficult for people in this town to get excited about this team, and I think what you just said is one of the reasons for it. You're not going to get 40,000 people out to the ballpark until they start beating good teams and let people believe in it. Right, yeah, and it, and I'd love to see them win because I do like the makeup of the team. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and, Glenn, a quick uh, – if I can, because I saw a post in another – media platform, but um, Wordle yesterday, oh. the editors should have been fired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Did you strike out as well? Yeah, and like you, that was my third in like 408 tries. Right. That was my third. It was my third fail ever, third. exactly. Yep. <laughs> All right. So, and thank you. I appreciate the moral support. So here's the story with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't. You're not a regular Wordle player. My, my wife is, and actually, my sons play regularly. <clears throat> oh, good for them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, age ages eleven and eight, and they play. I've been playing this thing since it started, and then uh, then eventually got bought by the New York Times. I yeah. still play. It's it's the first thing I do every day. I wake up, I feed the cat, I make a pot of coffee, and as the coffee is brewing, I do the Wordle, finish the Wordle, pour the coffee. My day has begun. <laughs> it's this ritual I have all over by six fifteen in the morning. Okay. okay? That's awesome. Yeah. So everybody knows what Wordle is. It's a uh, word game where you have to suss out a five-letter word by guessing the different letters, and the puzzle will tell you whether you got them right in the right spot, right but in the wrong spot, and you just you try to figure out a five-letter word. It's, it's the least complicated instructions ever, which is one reason it's taken off it's so It's brilliant much. in its simplicity. <clears throat> exactly. And everybody, everybody does it. Mm-hmm. And so, yesterday, like him, I had a streak going of like 180 days or something. Really yeah. proud of you that. You were the Joe DiMaggio of Wordle. Well, everybody's the Joe DiMaggio of Wordle. <laughs> That's the thing. Okay, this, the normal success rate on Wordle, I think, is like 96%. So most people get mm-hmm. it most of the time. It's whether you get it in two, three, four, right. well, two rare, three, four, five, whatever guesses. You get six and then you're out. Yesterday's word, well, I can say it now because it's the day later and then it's done, Um I ended up, after three guesses, I got the first, second, fourth, and fifth letters, which was P-A-P. 
blank E-R. All right, so where are you yeah. going with that? Paper. Paper. Uh, P-A, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a- Paver. Paver. No. Pacer. Yeah. No. Wow. Right? These are all the ones that I- Pager. Yeah. And then I'm sure that the millions of people who play the game- Everybody did exactly the same thing. Right. And the word was parer. P-A-R-E-R. Mike Sielski, you've been on this earth for more than four decades. How often does the word parer enter your vocabulary? Never. I've right. never used it. Right. And what I've what I've learned is that it's more common in Britain, and this is, I don't know, that this was started by a British guy. I don't know that it's their involvement now because the time zones it. I told you 95% of people normally get it right. Mm-hmm. Yesterday was 41%. That's incredible. So everybody's streak came to an end, unless you were lucky enough to guess that R in the middle early, in which case, like, you could build around it, we were all out. See? And I went nuts and posted on Twitter and Facebook and all that and it's good found that out I wasn't not, alone. It's good that there is not a Wordle survival pool because you I'm all done. would have bit the dust I'm yesterday. Out. Yes, by the way, thanks for bringing it up. I'm not involved in this year's WIP survival pool. That's it. Okay. Um, speaking of return game, that yes. brings us to Jalen Rager, who is back tomorrow in his first game. Well, I guess he played last week, had one punt return for seven yards. His first game back here. Uh, he did not play as a wide receiver the other day. He returned one punt for seven yards. Uh, he said he was asked whether he's thinking of revenge. Well, uh, let me give you the quote and then you give me, then explain the face you're making now, which is a good expressive face. Are you thinking of revenge? Why not? But I'm not going into the game pressing. Just going in, just going to let the game come to me. But sure, revenge is on my mind. Mike Sielski. Who is he going to, what is he avenging? Like, is he avenging himself? Is he, is he going in for revenge against himself? He was not a good player here. Yeah. They gave him more of an opportunity than he should have had because they drafted him in the first round. And then they got rid of him because he wasn't a good player. What is he avenging? What does what he hold against the Eagles? If anything, he mm. should be he should be grateful that the Eagles gave him what two years to show that he wasn't a very good wide receiver. All right, they gave him two years and lots of opportunity. Yeah, right. It's not it's not that you know they didn't dress the guy. He got to play, and he got that first round contract that he certainly never played up to. Rager is a guy, and you see this more and more with athletes, I feel like, who, and, and this was a discussion topic around him before the Eagles traded him, who pays so much attention to his Twitter feed and his social media that I think he lets it get into his head oh, and yeah. bother him way too much. Kevin Durant does that, I think. it's, it's Under the, many different accounts. Yeah, these guys are so sensitive to this stuff, and at some level you just have to turn it off and say, you know what? I'm going to play and do the best I can, and I can't let, you know, as, as the kids say nowadays, I can't let the haters get to me. Rager would come off the practice field and start responding to the trolls. Yes. Which nobody should do. No. I agree. I'm Including guilty of, you. I'm guilty of it from time <laughs> well, to time. You yeah. do whatever you want. But you can do it on your own time. You do it on your own time, whatever. He's an NFL player. Right. The one thing you learn as a professional athlete in this town, anywhere, but certainly in this town, is don't listen. Yeah. yeah. Don't take it. If, if you listen to WIP, don't worry about it. If we rip you, don't take it seriously. Don't. You have to have, and I know we're going to talk about this later, you have to have a rhino skin. 
to play in this town. You have to have a thick hide. You have to just... I remember there was a quote. Actually, you know what? I think I stole it from Silence of the Lambs. Oh, the worm that destroys you is the desire to please your critics. Mm. And I think that's it. Yeah. I, I, and that was him. Yeah, you know, it absolutely was him. And, and we've seen it time and time and time again in this town, whether you're talking about Donovan McNabb, for instance, or Ben Simmons. Uh, and as you said, we're going to get into this topic later in the show. And, and you just... I wonder sometimes if teams actually go to these athletes or even these coaches and executives and say, hey, here's what this town is like. Here's what you need to do to guard against letting the noise get to you. So once upon a time under a previous regime in a distant galaxy far, far away, the Flyers used to do that. Yeah, And uh, Ike Richmond, who's one of the two or three greatest PR guys in the history of the city, mm-hmm. right? Zach Hill as well, two of yeah. the Flyers guys. I mean, that's, the you know, top of the list. Yep. Ike Richmond, uh, they, the Flyers would hold a retreat for players, um, younger players. I don't think the older guys had to go, but the younger players. And they invited me one time to speak to them oh, wow. about what they can expect from the media and, like, how how is smart to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think his payment, I gave me a sweatshirt. <laughs> somewhere, um, somewhere I have, the, I have the a former, Comcast sweatshirt. There you go. The former um, Eagles PR guy, Derek Boyko. Oh, he's great. Was now great with the Bills. And used to do something very, very similar. And I think, I, I would imagine teams and PR staffs do this, but the question is how effective are they in conveying this message? And one of the things Derek used to say to players on the Eagles was, look, if you are at your locker, and you are there to answer questions during the week or in the aftermath of a game, you will build in some, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, credibility mm-hmm. with both the media and the public as goodwill. a whole. Yeah, Good, goodwill. goodwill. Yeah. If you're there, like the, the example that's used all the time, Mitch Williams after game six of the 93 World Series. Oh, Mitch was great. Take all the bullets. I, I messed up, you know, and if you are there to answer those questions, make yourself available it's a natural human instinct that people will give you more leeway when you yep. do mess up. I think everybody always respected Mick for, Mitch for that, as they should have. Um, but also, just don't, don't, don't let—I hate the word haters. I do hate that word, and trolls is also trite. Don't let the critics destroy you. Yeah. And Rager did that. All right, one other thing about Rager. His— New special teams coach mm-hmm. in Minnesota talked about how much he always wanted Jalen Rager when they finally landed him. Uh, Dan, I lost it. What's the guy's name? I lost the fellow's name. Mike Daniels. Or Mike, Matt, Matt Daniels. Matt say. Daniels. Okay. This is what Matt Daniels had to say about getting Jalen Rager. Uh, Jalen, so I've been sal- I was salivating over this guy. Uh, he's a very stout cocky built guy he's not really narrow he's got thick strong legs big glutes uh really nice calves you know again i salivated over this guy <laughs> at least he's not just caught up in analytics you know we were talking about this before the show i, I i'm a, i love that I, I kind of lament in some ways the way language around football and football players has changed over time yeah. you know you hear 
certain analysts talk about, oh, he's a he's a waist bending road grader, right. or he has you know he he catches the ball with his hands as opposed to catching it with his feet, uh, you know mm-hmm. things like that. And then you hear that, and we're like turning these athletes into body parts. <laughs> it's, it's really great I mean, glutes. That, great yeah. glutes. Uh, you know, to admire a guy with great glutes can't play. I, I can't play a lick, but man, his glutes. You know, I haven't given calendar a, worthy. I haven't given a thought to an NFL player's glutes in my entire career of covering yeah. this league for twenty years. All right, let's, uh, let's get out with this uh, on a scale of one to ten, with ten being metaphysical certitude. What are the odds that Jalen Rager has a impact on tomorrow's game? Two. Okay, that seems about right. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We would love to hear from you. We got open lines right now, and coming up, I want to tell everybody a story that will restore your faith in mankind. This occurred. Uh, I hosted a big charity event on Wednesday night. Uh, my brewery, Consolac and Brewing Company, released Merrill and Mike IPA, and uh, Mike Sealski was there. Dan Wilson was there along with Merrill and Mike. It was a big charity event, and somebody did about the nicest thing anyone has ever seen. You won't believe the story when I tell you, so I have these guys here to back it up. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now, 215-592-9494. Let me tell you a story uh, of great generosity. So on Wednesday night... The Conshohocken Brewing Company, which I am part of, held our release party for Merrill and Mike Philly Special Hazy Double IPA at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap, our place uh, out in Bridgeport. Um, and it was great. And first of all, thank you for being there. Oh, it was, it was a and wonderful event. It you, was a pleasure to be there. You sold some books, I hope. I did. Uh, so did uh, Zach Berman as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, had a, we had a great time. We had a really nice turnout. Merrill was there. Mike was there, of course. Uh, Bernie Perrant was there. A bunch of the WIP guys were there. Fran Dunphy, mm-hmm. coach of your, your alma mater now, came out. Auctioned off lunch with he and Phil Martelli. Very cool, yeah. okay? And we had that fundraising auction as part of it um, and some really nice items. And one of them was Ray Dinger's original draft notes on Eagles players, the yellow legal pad, the the vaunted Dead Sea Scroll yellow legal pads. I still can't get over the fact that Ray gave those up, that that he didn't want to hold on to them. And said he, he made well. copies. He, yeah. said, he said the copy will work for okay. me. Uh, yeah. I'll give you the original. So Good point. Great. Um, and a lot of people wanted it. Oh, yeah. There were a lot yeah. of people there. A lot of people wanted to bid on it. And the bidding went up, and it went to 1500 and to 2000 This is pieces of paper. By the way, thanks to my wife, who really put them nicely in a notebook with a cover and the whole thing. It's a very nice display. And the bidding goes past 200 and then it goes past 2500 And there is a woman there who desperately wanted it. Mm-hmm. And she ended up, gets it up to $2,650. And you could tell from her face that she's bidding well beyond what she really felt comfortable yes. spending. Yes. But she wants this. And she's doing it. And the gentleman bidding against her, uh, who is a man of means, and his name is Pat. And he had already purchased several auction items, including, by the way, uh, dinner with you and me at Ralph's Italian Restaurant. Yeah, looking forward to that yeah, very so much. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, and I appreciate that from him as well. And so it finally gets to that 2650 and he, he bows out, and he lets her have the cherished Dinger 
yellow legal pad notes. And it was clear he could have kept bidding. Mm-hmm. He could have kept going. But he decided to let her be the winner, which was a very gracious move on his part. Very much, yes. And you could I, I was sitting behind a table watching this happen, and you could see on the woman's face her excitement and joy at winning the bidding and getting raised notes. But it gets better. Because after the woman was declared the high bidder, Pat walks up to her and he has a conversation with her. And he mentions how much she, you know, obviously wanted the item and he's happy for her that he got it. And then he takes out his checkbook and he wrote a check for $2,650 to the charity, which, by the way, was First Tee of Greater Philadelphia, which uh, the, the money from the beer goes to benefit First Tee of Greater Philadelphia. And he bought the prize for her. Yeah. He, yeah. he, she wanted it. She bid on it. He said, let me buy this for you. Now, you know, the fact that he is somebody who can afford to do that is great. Mm-hmm. The fact that he actually had the generosity of spirit to do that to me, it's, it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Again, I was watching this kind of unfold, and I could, I, I put my head down, or I was talking to Zach at one point, and I looked back. And I saw the woman very clearly crying, but crying tears of joy. Yeah. You know, she had been happy, and now she was even happier. And I had no idea why. Uh, And it was only after the event when you told the story the first time that I understood what had happened and what Pat had done. And you're 100% right. I mean, what what an absolutely gracious gesture. It's just a beautiful thing. Dan Wilson, you were at it. What was your uh, takeaway from the evening? I was. Obviously, that was a very, very cool story. One that I didn't even, like, recognize in the moment when it happened. I saw you post about this the next day. Uh, Obviously, there was a lot of reaction and kind of, I won't say commotion, but just noise around all the auction items. I didn't realize that it had unfolded that way until you posted it. Uh, but I had a lot of fun the other day. My friends Graham and Zach were big fans of the show and big fans of the station. Uh, came out as well. They very much enjoyed the event. Uh, a lot of WIP personnel out there, as you said. I got a copy of uh, Mike's book uh, about Kobe Bryant that I'm very much looking forward to reading. Uh, but, yeah, definitely a, a great way to spend a Wednesday night together. Night. Yeah, well, I appreciate you being out there and everybody else. And it was it was great. And I think we raised about $17,000 so far. That's incredible. For First Year Greater Philadelphia. And what that charity does is it brings golf to kids, disadvantaged kids, kids who wouldn't have the opportunity otherwise to play golf, and they give scholarships, mm-hmm. and they give them equipment, and they teach them the game. I think it's just good. It's like Snyder Hockey does with hockey. It's yeah, a great and, thing. And those events, I've been at three or four of them now that you've put on, all of them at Conchock and Brewing Company in Bridgeport, and to me, they speak to the nature of the Philadelphia community uh, and the fact that you know, two guys like Merrill Reese and Mike Quick, it would be easy for them to blow something like that off or to say, I don't have the time to do that. Same same rule applies to Fran Dunphy. You know, he's got— He's, he's got always a, there. And Bernie— Yeah. And, and Bernie's wife, Jeannie, always, yeah. always come out. It, it really speaks to the idea of the Philadelphia area being almost a big, small town, and that's mm-hmm. really, really cool. Yeah, it's great, and I'm privileged to be part of it. And uh, So anyway, we got the beer out, and again, the money from the beer. Merrill and Mike IPA does go to the charity. Let's talk to Clay in Kansas City. Hello, Clay. Hey, guys. How you doing today? All right, Clay. Hi, Clay. Yeah, um, Glenn, I call the show a lot, really. enjoy mm-hmm. talking to you. Yeah. Um, I watched the game last week. Been an Eagles fan for 35, 40 years. Thank God for direct TV. Um, <laughs> I will tell you, I was encouraged. I mean, what if the Lions are better than we think they are? Maybe. I mean, and, and but I've seen Jared Goff around for a couple of years. I don't think Jared Goff's one of the great quarterbacks. And 
didn't seem hard for him. I would agree with you there. I would agree with you there. I just, to me, you know, they didn't really play a lot of starters a lot of time. I mean, they hardly played the starters at all. So they, it took a little while to get up to speed. I'm not saying the Vikings aren't going to be a tough opponent, but we get the game at home. Hopefully that crowd will, you know, play a factor in the game. And in a larger sense, I watched a lot of football last weekend. Who's good in the NFC? I, I don't well, know that's uh, I, if you heard the start of our show when we were talking about how the odds yeah, in Vegas changed. Yeah, the Eagles are now the second favorite team to get to the Super Bowl out of the NFC, and I agree with that. And and I also agree further with your point, which is nobody played in the preseason. It didn't bite them in the butt enough that they lost. It bit them in the butt that they gave up 35 points, but they ended up walking away. And I'm confident that they will get it together. But I'll ask you. You you feeling good about Jonathan Gannon here in year two so far? <laughs> that's a, that's a really good. I mean, I will say they have been deficient in the pass rush for a few years. And if you look at the Super Bowl team, that team was good in the regular season because we were able to get pressure without blitzing much. And that's what I think that's what Gannon. So, Mike, I will take his on. answer as a no. Yeah. I am not confident in Jonathan <laughs> no, Gannon. He eluded the question, right. Mike, but that's right. what I'm inferring. Clay, yeah, to, I, go ahead, not. Clay. Thanks, guys. Uh, uh, thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. Yeah, no, I don't think there's room to be impressed with Jonathan Gannon, certainly after that performance on Sunday. And I, as we said at the top of the show, it would be one thing if this were a Jim Johnson defense or a coordinator who had set a standard that and established it and maintained it. Hey, I'll take a Jim Schwartz defense. Well, that that's my point is that and, – and you could say, well, that's not how that defense usually performs. That's not the case here. This looked very much like last year's defense. Now, obviously, the Eagles didn't give up 35 points every week, but in terms of style and in terms of the questions and problems that people have with Gannon and what he's doing, none of those were answered Sunday. Correct. 215-592-9494. If you're on hold, stick around because we'll get to you. Coming up, our pal Tom McCarthy talks about what he has seen from the Phillies, uh, and Tom's actually doing some NFL this weekend, too. We'll talk about that. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Popped up, shallow left. That's a long run for everybody involved. Schwarber, did he get it? Nope, he didn't. And two runs will score. It's going to wind up being a double for Albies. I hear the pain in the voice. I hear it. Great description. Tom McCarthy last night as the Phillies blow one to the Braves. Tommy is nice enough to join us today on his busy day. How are you doing, Tom? Glad I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? Doing terrific. And thanks. It's always nice to talk to you. So it just I, – I, I fear that it feels like every previous September when the Phillies play late against the Braves and, like, here we are again. And last night they had a 2-1 to one win, lead, excuse me, uh, in the eighth, and six runs Atlanta scores as the Phillies lose 7-2. Yeah. to two. So uh, I'll start with this. And I think the Phillies right now are they're 5-6 and six or 6-7 six and seven against the Braves. Nothing horrible yet. But um, how important or is it important that they beat the Braves? They're going to see them twice more this weekend, four times next week, most likely the first round of the playoffs in early October. Is it important for them to win these games in the regular season? I think it's important right now, Glenn, because their lead is a game and a half over the Padres and three over the Brewers. That's, to me, the biggest thing. 
I know they're confident that they can do it. I know they have the ability to do it. Um, there have been a couple of late-game losses, though, to the Braves that have been really difficult to swallow, including last night and then that one earlier this year when Harper hit that home run off the, uh, the restaurant in right field mm. and the Braves then came from behind to win it. So psychologically, you may think that, and you know, but I've seen so many times that as long as you get in, if you face that team, um, I think it kind of changes in the postseason. Uh, but I will say that these late, you know, these late game losses to the Mets and the Braves are kind of concerning because you know you've got your best guy out on the mound, basically in Sir Anthony, to try to finish the game off. Tom, you use the word psychologically. Uh, in answering yeah. Glenn's question. And I'm curious, you know, you're somebody who's around the team a lot, obviously. And, yes, the personnel is different this year from, you know, previous seasons. Guys are here who were not here before. But I'm curious kind of your perspective on where the team is at psychologically. Does the fact that it hasn't gotten to the playoffs in the last couple of years when expectations were that they would make it, is that a factor at all? Well, I, I think, Mike, it, it's definitely on their mind because they want to do it for the city. I think that's truly on their mind because they want to be that clubhouse that does break this decade-long slide of not getting the postseason. But i got to tell you, one of the reasons why I'm not you know, sort of overreacting as far as losing last night's game is because this is a really good clubhouse. Like, it doesn't seem like anything phases them. And I don't mean in the way that they don't care because I've been around teams where – wow, it doesn't really phase them. And, I'm, and then I walk away thinking, yeah, but maybe they don't really care about it. Whereas this club, I think, is really different. I think it's the way Rob has everything sort of structured and stabilized. They care, but they also know, all right, we got to flip it here. You know, we gotta, we got to play again tonight, and we got to play again tomorrow. And we still have everything well within our reach. So they do think about it, and I think they address it because it's talked about but I think their feeling is the Schwarbers, you know, the uh, even the Zach Wheelers, you know, people like that, that it's a different year that they have the pieces and the leadership to kind of get them to where they need to get to. Tom McCarthy is our guest. So you, you brought up Rob Thompson. So let me ask you yeah. about that. Everybody, you know, marveled at the turnaround this team had when he took over. Uh, he is also somebody who is kind of boring. To the average fan, there's, there's, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you, you yeah. see steady, but you don't really see a lot of personality. What's his skill set? Why is it working so well under him? You know, it's funny, Glenn. I think his biggest thing is his personality. Uh, he is, he's funny. Uh, he's witty. Quick with a, quick with a comment uh, to kind of put you at ease. I mean, it could be the youngest of writers or the youngest of players, and he has something that he says to them that gets them laughing and gets them relaxed. So even though it doesn't come across all the time in little sound bites or snippets, if you do get to know him, there's a, um, there's a comfortable conversation that's had each and every day. And I kind of liken him to Pete McCannon in a certain way, but with a, with a better understanding of today's game. And that's not a knock on Pete, mm -hmm. but I just think Pete's personality was such that he could walk into, um, you know, he could have been at, let's say, your, your appearance the other day with Merrill and Mike and fit in and, and made people laugh and made people enjoy themselves just from being around him. So, you know, 
he's calming in a lot of ways too, where I'm the kind of person that doesn't really get let too much get, get to me. Like I keep an even keel, even in the messiest of situations. And that's how he is. There's nothing that exudes out of him of panic. And I think that that's really good in today's world of sports. Tom, one of the guys who is really, uh, I don't want to say necessarily turn things around because he's long been a very good player, um, but who has really helped get the Phillies into a position where we're talking about the playoffs almost, almost as kind of a fait accompli taken for granted is JT Real Muto. Um, yeah. What, was this the season he was always going to have, or based on what you've seen, was there kind of a turning point for him where, you know, the, the last couple of weeks he's just been terrific. He's been driving in runs, hitting the ball with power. He's stealing bases in a way catchers don't steal bases. Um, was this always going to happen, or was there something during the course of the season that kind of uh, got him on this path to where he's just been absolutely terrific lately? Well, well, Mike, I, I think at the beginning of the year, this is what we thought he was going to be. Maybe not the base stealer, but this is the guy we thought he was going to be. But I think he made a mechanical adjustment in his swing because he tried something different in spring training with more of a progressive leg kick that just didn't work. So he's tempered that. And ever since he tempered it on the 15th of July, remember that period of time where the Phillies went to Toronto and he didn't go? Yep. Mm -hmm. So he, he used that week, even beforehand in, in St. Louis, but during the time off, to change the way he was approaching his at-bats. So while the team was away, he was sort of tinkering mechanically with his swing. So now you're seeing the JT swing that you saw two years ago. It's the same stance of two years ago or three years ago. Uh, the other part of it, too, is that he's healthy. I mean, he played last year without anybody really knowing with a bad shoulder. So the throws weren't like they are right now. So he, on his own, rehabbed that. So I, I think that he's been around long enough that he made an adjustment. Um, you know, Matt Gelb had a story a couple weeks ago, which I thought was kind of cool. It kind of descriptive a lot of, of what JT was going through. He said, you know, I knew people were panicking. He goes, I wasn't. But I think in reality, I think everybody was. I mean, there were seven under 500. And, yeah. And they, they couldn't get out of their own way. Sure. So. Yeah, they can so he, say that, but uh, you, you looked at the standings course. and it was scary. Hey, let me ask you, uh, Zach Wheeler, um, they said he threw yesterday in a simulated game, reached 98 miles an hour, supposed to uh, pitch on Wednesday night, going to have three or four mm -hmm. starts for the end of the regular season. You got a great start last night out of Ranger Suarez. Uh, Nola goes today against Jake Odorizzi. Give me the Tom McCarthy uh, rotation going down the stretch. Wheeler, Nola, Suarez. That's it. One, two, three for me. Um Wow, and, what are you, Gene Mock? That... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, that, you mean all, one through five. You don't mean the first Yeah, three or, or do you shorten it to four? Yeah, so I don't shorten it to four. Um, so I still keep Gibson in the rotation, obviously, and I keep Syndergaard in the rotation, and I have Bailey Falter as kind of a swing guy. Really? But I do think Bailey's do been think pretty good. Be Falter's been, yeah. been better than Syndergaard, man. Well, but here's the thing, Glenn, and, and, and I think it's the same for both. Um, so take a look at some of the matchups. I mean, you can look at the Falter matchup against the Mets, and that was a huge win for the team during the four-game series. Uh, I still think that if push came to shove, they'll, they'll either keep it at Syndergaard or they may add the combination of a Falter-Zach Eflin 
sixth man if they need it at any point, which I don't think they're going to because of all the off days. Um, that's a great question because Rob is not afraid to sort of step away from the norm and bruise egos if he thinks something else is going to work better. Mm-hmm. Tom, how much, or I should say, what do you think of the prospect of Zach Eflin as a reliever? I like it. Um, I, I think the biggest thing, the biggest test is how fast can he get ready? Um, because I think that sinker works as a reliever. And I think he can throw it as a primary pitch. And if he can throw it off his slider where the velocity is almost, it's not exactly the same as the two, three mile an hour difference, but the movement is comparable, you know, one to the right and one to the left. I think that he's, uh, I think he can, he can make it work. And I think he'll get to the point where he can do two innings if he has to, um, Kind of like Colin McHugh of the Braves. If you do one inning, great. If you do two, great. It's like Seth Lugo of the Mets. Mm-hmm. If you do one, great. If you do two, that's even better. All right, Tom McCarthy, you are a multi-talented broadcaster, doing more than just baseball. You uh, you did you did Colt. What what game did you do last week? Colts. Colts Texans. You know that twenty twenty tie. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, this week you get Colts-Jags, is that right? Colts-Jags. I just pulled into Jacksonville. I'm at the hotel waiting for uh, Tiki to come take the keys to the rental car so he can go watch his son play college football. Oh, that's pretty sweet. And you get to see yeah. Doug Peterson. Yeah, I talked to him yesterday for a little while. Um, oh, tell the, us, tell us. Yeah, the Jags and um, obviously CBS were nice enough because I asked. I said, listen, I don't want to – if I can limit my misses – because I have a certain amount of misses that I can do during a baseball season. Um, if I can limit my misses during this run, it would be great. So if I can do the meetings over Zoom on Friday, that would be awesome. So that's what I did. So Doug was great. So, you know, last week he wore the hat instead of the visor. That's right. I don't know if you guys uh, saw that. I, I was unaware of that. Okay, that's yeah. big yeah, news. So, Why did we not get so, that for a week? Okay. So, so, so that was the first question that we posed to him. He goes, Oh, it was raining. I don't want to mess up my hair. Oh, <laughs> oh he's, he's got good. Tommy, I think you and I can agree. He's got pretty good hair. Yeah, yeah. D- Doug, he's got pretty good hair. Doug Peterson so leads he, all NFL coaches in hair. I just want yeah, he does. He does. He was great yesterday, though. He was he was light. Um, you know, I, I think the Jaguars realize there's finally an adult in the room, and I think they're all really embracing this. You know, this sort of marriage of. Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson, but Doug Peterson and the entire organization. Uh, but he was awesome. He, you know, he talked about his, his relationship with Frank Reich. Um, when, I, when, I, when I popped on, he was excited to hear, you know, hear my voice, which mm-hmm. was pretty cool. Um, he seems in great spirits. I mean, he really does. I think he's really enjoying himself. And on the other side, of course, Tom, uh, the Colts, as you mentioned, have Frank Reich as their head coach. They also have a yeah. suburban Philadelphia native in Matt Ryan, a quarterback you saw the Colts last week. What did you think of them? And, and in particular, what did you think of Matt Ryan and the way he played? Well, I thought he, yeah, I thought he looked really good. I mean, I, that, that could have been a, you know, a 20 point win if their young receiver, Alec Pierce caught the ball in the end zone. Um, and if obviously if, if Matt, if Matt had seen Jerry Hughes leaking on the corner and didn't throw one right into the palm of his hand, um, I think he's going to fit well with that team. Listen, Jonathan Taylor is one of the best backs I've seen in a long time um, because of his ability to catch and run. And it was kind of cool talking to him last week because obviously South Jersey yep. guy. Um, it was funny. I said, how much did you root for the Eagles? He goes, oh, all the time. He goes, when they got Clement, I, I really rooted for them. 
Um, so yeah, he was he was cool. We were kind of we were waxing about the fact that you watch high school film of him, and Salem obviously is a very small school in New Jersey, but he looked like he was like just a man amongst boys. Like you know, there was nobody able to t- take him down. But he was great. He was engaging. Um, you know, he loves his his South Jersey roots. He loves his Eagles. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Nice. Well, Tommy, listen, uh, enjoy uh, Jacksonville and look forward to hearing you up again soon with the Philadelphia Phillies. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Uh, there you Good go. You too, Tom. There you go. Tom McCarthy. Good man. Yeah, really good guy. Good broadcaster. Yeah, very solid. Very solid. All right, let's get uh, James in Philadelphia. What's on your mind, James? Let me take you out speaker one second. Okay. And here we Thanks go. Thanks for the call. For, yeah. uh, first time caller. Yeah, uh, sure. Great show. Thank you. Thanks, As James. always. I just wanted to point out an article that's on the uh, Internet uh, titled, Will, J- Will uh, Justin Jefferson Become NFL's First 2,000-Yard Receiver? But um, within the article, it talks about his utilization um, by the Vikings, the pre-snap count, and the high utilization. Against the Packers, it says, Minnesota employed some version of pre-snap movement on 48% of their offensive plays for uh, next-gen set. Jefferson was featured in motion on seven snaps with six pass attempts and four targets on those plays. The heavy utilization of motion was similar to how the Rams moved cup around last season. And it just goes on to say and talk about how that's an integral part of their game. And you can see it when you look at film. It wasn't so much that the, you know, Green Bay has some excellent defenders, but he was so wide open because of how they move him around. And so hopefully uh, both the defense of the Eagles and the uh, the offensive coaches are listening to the show right now. Uh, I mean, you can, Oh, I'm you sure can, they've you, read that. And, yeah. and anything you've read, they read. They have people who basically read that stuff all day, and hopefully they will have a game plan in them. And, and thank you for calling, and please make sure that you call again. Um, that said, th- clearly that's the thing that worries everybody the most tomorrow, oh. that he's going to go off for 220 yards and two touchdowns. Absolutely. And the thing you have he had to keep- what, 184 in the week one. Yeah, and the thing you have to keep in mind, too, Glenn, is that uh, the Vikings' new head coach, Kevin O'Connell, is a Sean McVay disciple you know Mm. part of that tree who who isn't so um the motion that you know james was talking about and what they do offensively uh that's kind of the the predicate for it is watch what sean mcveigh has done with the rams and you'll see maybe what kevin o'connell does with the vikings and that's just another layer that is going to make it that much more difficult for the eagles to cover justin jefferson monday night all right mike sealski here's the thing for uh, the, I will go out to the the uh, snack room adjacent to us. Okay, and I will get you a cup of this not so delicious vanilla. Mo- what what am I drinking? French here? vanilla. French vanilla. Yeah, it's not good. The coffee here is awful. You know what? There's a suggestion box there. But <laughs> we need better coffee. It's bad coffee. But I know you're drinking it. Yeah. I will go out during this upcoming break mm-hmm. and get you a cup. Of this here coffee. Okay. If you can tell me who holds the NFL record, because when he said first with 2,000 yards, I wanted to look it up. Mm-hmm. Who holds the record for receiving yards one season NFL? Cooper Cup. <clears throat> he fell 17 yards short of the record, which is held by 
Calvin Johnson ah. of the Detroit Lions, 1,964 yards 10 years ago in 2012. And what's amazing is that Calvin Johnson did that in a 16-game season. That's and Cooper correct. Cup obviously played 17 That is season. correct. So, so I would not put it past Jefferson to get that this year. No, and the other um, interesting tidbit is same quarterback for both Cup and Calvin Johnson, right? It's got to be Matthew Stafford. Oh, Throw, yeah. Throwing a Cooper oh, Cup last year. and then Good throw- pull by you. Yeah, there you go. See, Nicely I know, done. I know some things. You know, you're not dumb like they say. You're <laughs> smart. <laughs> I want respect. 215-592-9494. We will take your calls. But coming up at the start of the next segment is a great thing. where We, we always do our Scheib Sports look at this week in Philadelphia Sports History. And there are two great ones involving quarterbacks that oh, I'm sure you pretty much remember. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now a 94 WIP. Hey, it's back to school time, and that means it's also time to drive the kids everywhere to and from school, sports practices, doctor's appointments, you name it. Luckily, United Tire has some sweet deals to make sure your car is in tip-top shape for your kiddos. Now through September 30th, United Tire is offering a rebate of up to $150 on select Goodyear tires. Stop by your local United Tire today. Take advantage of these A-plus deals while they last. Don't drive alone. Drive United. All right, all right, all right. Mike Sielski, Glenn McEnough. It is time for This Week in Philadelphia Sports History, brought to you by Shy Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or at shybesports.com. All right, Mike Sielski. This happens to be a very noteworthy week in Philadelphia Eagles history for new quarterbacks. Mm. I'm going to first take you back to September 17th, 1989. It is the second game of the season. Eagles at Washington. Does not start out well. Washington up 30 to 14. At the, I think they were up 27 at 7. Yeah, 20 to nothing. 20 to nothing, and up 30 to 14 at the half. But in the second half, the Eagles come back. Randall, Randall Cunningham. You remember Randall, right? Never heard of him. No, no. How old? <laughs> I, it's like I always look at things from the time frame of my age. When Randall came upon the scene, you were what, a teenager? Uh, not quite. I was 14 at the time of this game, but you know, I was 12 in 1987 when he became the starter, and everybody was just so taken with him as a player. Oh, 12 year old Mike Sealski had to think that was all that, right? Oh, and a bag of chips. Yeah, he was. He was a lot of fun. On this day, he leads a comeback. He's got four touchdown passes, but Washington is up with a minute to go 37 to 35. Gerald Riggs had rushed for 221 yards that day against the Eagles. 29 carries. He fumbles. Wes Hopkins picks it up. God, I love these names. <laughs> I, I love that Eagle team so much. Wes Hopkins returns it to the Eagles' four-yard line. And then this. Eagles trail by two. 57 seconds to go. Play fake. Cunningham. Jackson is open. Caught. Touchdown. Keith Jackson for the touchdown. The Eagles win. Randall goes, hold on, here it is, 34 for 46 for 447 yards and five touchdowns. By the way, that was Keith Jackson's third touchdown of the day. Great tight end. Uh, I watched, if you go on YouTube, there are 16 minutes worth of highlights of this Yeah, game. that's where I pulled this. And 
I can remember watching this game in the living room of the house where I grew up with my mom and dad, and it's one of those games that stands out. If you are a, a kid and an Eagles fan, it's one of those ga- at that time, it's one of those games you do not forget. It stands out in your memory even today. As you said, those teams were so much fun. The Buddy Ryan teams, Randall in his prime, running around, making plays, Reggie White and Wes Hopkins and Jerome Brown. Of the 16 minutes of highlights of this game, I think maybe six or seven of them were Washington fumbles. The ball was on the ground <laughs> yeah, a lot. all the time in that game. Uh, and it was it was just amazing to to kind of relive it. The other thing I remember, because I think this is the story I wrote that day, right, is that the Eagles announced on that day after the game that Randall had signed a five-year contract extension through 1995 at the time. And that was a huge deal because this was ultimate weapon. He's going to carry us to Super Bowls, all this stuff, and it was great. And that's the story I wrote that day for the Inquirer was the Randall new contract story. Nice timing to have a 447-yard, five-touchdown <laughs> performance uh, for Randall Cunningham in the same day. That yeah, and then be able to announce it. Also, on the, not this day, but this week, back in 1999, uh, right, was the first appearance in a game by Donovan McNabb in relief of Doug Peterson. The aforementioned Doug Peterson. You got the stats on this, right? Yeah, the stats, I almost hesitate to read them. Wasn't as good as Randall's They're kind of ugly. <laughs> They're kind of ugly. Uh, the Eagles lost that day to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 19-5 to at Veterans <laughs> Stadium. <laughs> Five? Yeah, it, it sounds like a, a Phillies game that Don Carmen started. <laughs> no offense <laughs> to Don Carmen. Uh, but McNabb went four for 11 passing for 26 yards. Not not good. He scrambled or ran five times for 38 yards. Okay. Here's the big negative stat. He was sacked six times. Six? What, he threw 11 passes and was sacked six times? Yes. And I think that's a bad ratio. Lost 42 yards. (laughs) So if you you take the passing yards and subtract the sack yardage, he was responsible for a net... What is it? Minus 18, I think. Yeah, like 22 yards. But he made it up in the rushing. Yeah. Well, no. he The sack, the rushing, and the passing. Oh, you're adding the two and then subtracting. Yeah. yeah. So okay. He, yeah, 22, 22 yards and, of total offense. In about 30-something plays. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it got better. Uh, oh, just to let people did. know, it definitely got better. Yeah. And I remember when, when Doug was – and I love Doug Peterson, but when Doug was eventually benched full-time for Randall – Doug was a little bitter about it. He was salty about it. Yeah, he acted like we all knew this was the plan. Nobody filled you in on that? Yeah, and he came back and started the following season. He was the Cleveland Browns starting quarterback, I believe. Uh, So he got a little more run He was the Chase Daniel of his day without the exorbitant paycheck. Dude, Chase Daniel might be the smartest man in NFL history to get paid that much money for being that limited a player. Unbelievable. So it made me think about something because Randall is – in hindsight, it appears to me Randall's pretty universally loved. But he wasn't when he was the starting quarterback. No. Randall was a hot-button issue, all, certainly on this station and throughout the town. Right? I, I, I think Guy it, can't win big games. Yeah, and I think it's similar to what we've uh, experienced the last few years with Ben Simmons. Not that, not that Randall behaved the same way that Ben Simmons did, but that feeling that there's more there and it's not being tapped into. Like, as great as, he, as, great as Randall is— or as great as Simmons was, oh, why can't they just do this other thing that would make them so amazing? You know, if Randall only had a, yeah. a real offensive coordinator, if he only 
Yeah, had better, some, yeah, had someone to better say. weapons at certain times, right. which is the same with McNabb. I see your Ben Simmons thing, but I'm I'm I see it in a little bit of a different way. Which and and let me just transition McNabb and then get into the larger point, which is McNabb came back and he got great applause. Right, a lot better than Russell Wilson got in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Right, yes. all those people thought Randall was going to get booed. I'm assuming assume Donovan was going to get booed. He did not when he came back. Right, and Russell Wilson did. And Russell Wilson did. But when Donovan played, Donovan was the major source of contention in this town all the time. People mm-hmm. loved him. People hated him. People, there was a lot. Nobody was ambivalent about it. Nope. So is it, my, my hypothesis is, if you were the cleanup hitter in Philadelphia, Ryan Howard, Mike Schmidt, or you were the starting quarterback, Randall Cunningham, Donovan McNabb, Ron Jaworski, you can never have universal adoration. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think there's another dynamic at play, which is how that quarterback or cleanup hitter is hyped or ends up here. You know, there's there's an element of expectations there that I think is at play for a guy like Randall or McNabb or Carson Wentz or even Ron Jaworski back Randall in the was, 70s. Randall was a second-round pick. N- yes, but Randall eventually became, as you said, the ultimate weapon. Yeah, he was a cover of Sports Illustrated. Right, okay. and... I think that differentiates him and guys like him, whether you're talking about Mike Schmidt or Bryce Harper or Ryan Howard, from somebody like Jalen Hurts or the last really universally loved quarterback the Eagles have, who is Nick Foles, which is right. different stories. Yes, right? yeah, which kind of had the two brief terms and didn't didn't hold the job long enough for the town to turn him. But he won a Super Bowl, which nobody else did, so that, right, you but know, even, but even before you win it that, forever. Yeah, even before that, though, you know, Foles only got to be the starter because Michael Vick got hurt. Right. Jalen Hurts only became the starter because Carson Wentz didn't want to be here anymore. Okay, so can Jalen Hurts ever win the town in a way that Randall and McNabb could not, and every and Jaws could not, and Wentz could not, and every other quarterback other than Nick Foles could not? Yeah, I think he can. You I think, think so? I think the fact that he came from where he came from, which is— he was drafted to be a backup, and now maybe the Eagles have stumbled into the guy who's going to be their quarterback for the next several years. We don't know that yet. Uh, I think that people like that story in the same way that they liked, loved Nick Foles' story. Even before he won the Super Bowl, he was backup, gets to play when Michael Vick gets hurt, 27 touchdowns, two interceptions, goes somewhere else, comes back, backup, wins the Super Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. We like narratives like that in Philadelphia. Yeah, we do like that. We'll see. We'll see. I think it goes with the job that you'll never. Oh, there's um, there are people out there who are not going to like Jalen Hurts, sure. But I think that it's a different kind of thing than say McNabb or Randall or Wentz, where those expectations are were heavy on those guys in a way I'm not sure they are with Hurts. Okay, uh, you're certainly invited to uh, chime in on that two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Let's get to Jack in Santa Barbara. Hello, Jack. Crop. Hey. You just chewed that up like you're dropping the needle down onto the vinyl record for me. <laughs> well, I, I know I've talked to you for a lot of years, and I know your history in this town, and I imagine you have opinions on all those quarterbacks and how they were received. Well, uh, uh, it was my topic of what I wanted to discuss with you guys, but I want to say to Mike first, because I'm building rapport with him as the new guy, okay, <laughs> Mike, Prof gave me the name 
the nickname, and you know what nicknames mean in Philadelphia. They're like God, right? <laughs> Darn right. So he gave me he gave me the dude, but I didn't own it until I went to see Tommy and me, and Ray shakes my hand, and, and when he saw it was me, and he and I said, "I'm Jack from Santa Barbara." He goes, "Jack the dude." <laughs> <laughs> So I'm giving you the mic. The mic? Okay. okay. I don't know if it'll stick, but I'm giving you the mic. <laughs> the mic The mic abides, Jack. The mic abides. There you That's go. It. There you go, brother. That's what it's Okay, from. so, and I just listened to your book. So I'm telling you what you, get, what you guys just talked about, about Randall in this town, he's God. And, and but he wasn't. Like he wasn't when he played. Like no, no, in Santa Barbara, he's got Oh, and, oh, okay. who knew? Oh, that's in right. He's Santa from Barbara, that part of the he, world. That's yeah. right. Yeah, because his his brother who preceded him was Sam the Bam Cunningham. Right. And, and Randall in this town is God. And it's like telling the Kobe Bryant story that you so beautifully did, Mike. Thank you, yeah, Jack. beautiful. Thank you so but much. I appreciate that. If Randall had gotten the guidance, that Kobe got, Philly would have gotten the Randall that Philly wanted. But but he was like like God before he was a kid. Yeah, and, and, and he never had a sh- he never had a shot at being small. Yeah, you know so he went Hollywood. Yeah, he, went Hollywood. he did. I mean, you have to. I think you know our memories of this kind of thing can be selective, as Glenn said. You know, Randall took his share of criticism, but at the same time, there was an, uh, a star quality to Randall at that time that was, right. y- you couldn't miss it, you know, whether he was talking about, what was it, I'm, I'm still scrambling, he, would, he uh, was hanging out with- Let me be me. Let me be me. Gold he was shoelaces. Out, he was uh, hanging he out with Whitney Houston. Yeah. Here and they, he played basketball here and they couldn't touch him. Yeah. He was just a freak. But he is so loved in this town. That's nice. Like, he, he's, he's God. Yeah, it's good to hear. Quickly, I know you had something on Jalen Hurts you wanted to say. Yeah, and it was, it was on topic. I studied all the running quarterbacks this week. And I said, okay, uh, they could all really sling the ball, all of them, from Carson down to Randall. They could, they could really sling the ball. And and Mike Vick, who didn't slide, the only one that got hurt really bad was Randall, Carson, and and Donovan. Yeah, and Randall, and, we got to go. And and always thanks, Jack. And Randall got hurt on a play in scramble. He got hurt on a play, the original one, where he just took a snap and Bryce Pop breaks through the line yep. and pops his knee. Oh, one of the worst moments of my sports life as right. a child. Opener of the season, nineteen ninety one. That that was going to be the team that yep you know, that won we the all Super Bowl. We we all felt that way. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. John Clark is going to join us at noon. We'd like to talk to you between now and then or after. He's Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack. Now on ninety four WIP. I'm Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Beautiful day in the Delaware Valley. Love this weather. Lovely. Open windows. It's it's my favorite time of the year. I feel like this is New Year's yeah. um, when it gets 
a chill in the air, football's going, school has started again. This, to me, is like the, the, the true start of the new year. Well, Rosh Hashanah's coming up, so, you know, which is the start of the new year. Come to my house. We're having a Seder. Sounds delightful. It is delightful. All right, it is time for our visit with the great doctors from Cooper Bone and Joint. Dr. Mark Pollard joins us today. Doc, how's your weekend going? It's going great. Thank you very much. Good. All right, we got a few things we want to ask you about. Yeah, so Dr. Pollard, Nick Castellanos from the Phillies has has been out a couple of weeks now with an oblique strain. I guess, the, is this common? Is this something that I think... People hear strain and they hear oblique and maybe they think this isn't that bad, but it's been a couple of weeks now. Um, is it typical for an injury like this to be as problematic as it's been for Castellanos? Um, it certainly can be. You know, the uh, oblique muscle is just one of those muscles in the you know abdominal wall um, that you know in in baseball is really involved in a lot of the activities they do, you know, swinging a bat and throwing and so so forth. Uh, puts a strain on it and you know just like any other you know muscle strain injuries you know hamstring or something like that um, there's a spectrum of how severe the injury can be obviously the more minor it is uh, the more likely it is just to you know settle down heal up and that'll be the end of it whereas the more you know the more severe or significant the injury is the more time it'll take to heal up and uh, you know the more uh, likely it will be kind of a, a nagging thing that might drag on well, they need him. So get that message out, Doc. Okay. Other issue. Uh, last week, Derek Barnett uh, suffered a torn ACL in the win against the Lions. It was the only injury they had, fortunately, or the only uh, injury of note that they had. My question for you, and we've talked about ACLs and MCLs and every one of them there are. He's 26 years old. He is out for the season. Long term, should there be any worries about that injury and how he will be able to play? Um, you know, in this day and age, you know, an ACL injury certainly isn't the same as it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, the, the treatment for it has improved so much um, that, you know, the odds are, you know, it'll, uh, you know, they, he'll have the surgery, it'll heal up and, you know, function will be fine. But, you know, the, the cold uh, truth is that, you know, we, we have 80 to 90 percent of people were able to get to, you know, the previous level of function. But the flip side of that is that there's 10 to 20 percent of people you know, that, that aren't able to get there. And so, you know, it, it is a worry. The, the odds are in his favor, of course, but it's not a sure thing. Is that based on – well, I, I know this from coming off all my own injuries. So much of it is based on how hard you, you know, work in rehab. A lot of it is on the patient himself. Yes, no? Um, yeah, you know, you know, the, the conventional wisdom is that, you know, the rehab after the surgery is just as important as the surgery itself. Um, you know, but a lot goes into it and probably the most significant factor in determining that is the, the other injuries that go along with the ACL because oftentimes, you know, an ACL tear is not just an ACL tear. There's other injuries within the knee, like the meniscus yeah. or, even the cartilage on the joint surface. And the more of those things that you have, the more likely you are to have difficulties getting back. Hey, I hear it. Dr. Mark Pollard, thank you as always for your time and expertise. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, thanks so much. My uh, pleasure. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, doctor. You know what, what? I asked that question. One of the if 
The biggest regret of my own life, and I have a lot of regrets in my life. This is me burying my soul too, I'm, Mike I, Selsky. We've I, been working my, together now for, what, six, eight weeks? Yeah, now, yeah my okay. eyes are wide. I'm, the I'm ready for The biggest regret I ever have is the first time I tore up my knee. And understand, you were talking to somebody who has literally had 10 knee surgeries, wow. including three knee replacements. Do the math on that. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, is the first time I tore my knee, which was my right knee, and I was 25 years old playing in a flag football game, Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel versus Miami Herald. Do they call that the newspaper bowl? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I, went, I caught a pass, and I went to put a fake on it. On, on a, well, remember Carl Hyacin? He became a great yeah. writer. Yeah, well, he's covering great. me. No. Okay. Oh, my gosh. So I caught a pass, and I went to put a move on him. Right, and I planted my right foot and tried to deke left, and the knee turned in an extremely unnatural direction. Wow. And that was it. And I did. It was the terrible trio: ACL, MCL, cartilage. Like I tore the whole thing. Hmm. Right, like a bomb went off. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and I remember, and I got the surgery, which at that time was like you know they took a rock and carved you up. Yep. Right. It wasn't like it is now. And they said, okay, now you go to rehab. And I remember thinking, I'm 25 years old. I'll bounce back. It's mm -hmm. like I've never been hurt in my life. This will, you know, whatever. And I sloughed my way through the rehab. And it never came back. Wow. And it's the, after that, after the all the surgery I got after that, I've had 19 surgeries in my life. Oh, my God. Oh, man. yeah. I'll show you the scars. Wow. Uh, anyway, 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 the one thing I always do is if in rehab they say do 10 reps, I do 12 reps. And it's like I tr really learned that rehab is what it's all about. You know what's interesting, though, Glenn? You mentioned, I think you, if you didn't just say it then, you'd mentioned it before, that that injury happened to you in, what, 1981? Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah. So to think back, and Dr. Pollard mentioned this, to to think back to how technology has changed over the last 30, 40 oh, years, yeah. um, you could have even, at that time, you could have rehabbed the knee, and there was no guarantee that it would have come back. Certainly not you, like now. You know. But I just, I remember I blew it off, and people mm -hmm. said, like, no, you got to do the rehab. And I'm like, come on, I'm young and I'm fast. I was fast then, and I'm like, ah, I'll be fine. And it was stupid. I did, a, I, I did a story for the Inquirer five years ago now about Michael Brooks, who was yeah. the National College Basketball sure. Player of the Year at my alma mater at LaSalle. And he was on his way. He was having a very productive NBA career, hadn't missed a game for the first four or five years he was in the league. And he tore his ACL one night uh, in Cleveland when he was playing for the Clippers at the time. And it changed the entire course of his life because he could never come back really from it. And he ended up moving to Switzerland and all kinds of stuff happened to him. But, you know, you think back to what an injury like that meant then and how yeah. much has changed now. I mean, I'm going to go way back in this, but two of the greatest athletes of my lifetime, both of my childhood, were Bobby Orr mm. and Gail Sayers. And Bobby Orr and Gail Sayers both had short, brilliant careers. I think Gail Sayers played six seasons, yep. made the NFL Hall of Fame. Bobby Orr played, I don't know, 6'8", and then he tried with the Bruins, then he tried to come back with the Blackhawks, but he wasn't the same guy. And those guys, if they were playing today and had the benefit of Dr. Pollard's fine hand, mm -hmm. would have been able to play long careers. Yep, yep, yeah. yep, yep. Anyway, I'm, I was not Bobby Orr. But no. However, I did destroy my, my whatever athletic career I had, <laughs> which was minimal, was destroyed Try, by Trying that. to torch Carl Hyacinth. Yeah, I did catch the pass. Uh, nice. Brian in Middletown, you're on with Mike Sealski and Glenn Mack now. Oh, wow, that was fast, guys. Yep, you uh, got good it. morning. <laughs> Hi, Brian. Hey, 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 Mike. Hey, I really like the uh, 
this uh, the pairing of you two. I hope this is uh, is this uh, long term. This is it. Oh, this is awesome. Great. Um, guys do a fabulous job. I really enjoy just kind of just listening each week. And Thanks, every, man. Yeah, you know, you're welcome. Every once in a while, of course, uh, you'll prompt me or or something outside of the world will prompt me to call. And it's uh, certainly the Eagles and the defense. You know, one of the issues I had when they put together this coaching staff, I, I, I didn't like the composition of it in terms of the youth all around. You know, I felt mm-hmm. it was kind of an insult to what the National Football League is because I, I thought we were going to go sort of the uh, Sean McVay route where you have the young, hot uh, quarterback, uh, coach, you know, young, hot I thoroughly agree and and made the point at the time that I wanted somebody in the room who'd been around who could, yeah, a Wade Phillips type, uh, a a Jim Schwartz type, somebody who would say, hey, fellas, I know you're excited about this, but let me tell you how it works. And I agree. And so to me, this is not, I don't want to hear anything about personnel. Like, and here's the thing, as you know, we know that Jalen Hurts is still developing, but if he's shepherding an offense that's going to average anywhere between 24 to 27 points a game, obviously they put 31 points on the board uh, the opening season, but if they're putting those types of points on the board, then the defense, you have to win those games because the late, great Jim Johnson said he didn't care about yards. He's only concerned about at the final buzzer that that score on the board was 17 points or less. And if you want to up that a bit because of the rule changes to maybe 21, then that's fine. But All right. Now, I want to – hold on, Brian, because, Mike, I want to cut through what Brian has said. Mm-hmm. And I take all of this to him saying he does not have entire total confidence in Jonathan Gannon. Do you infer the same? I infer exactly the same thing. And what's interesting about the point Brian is making is that Nick Sirianni made exactly the same point on Thursday uh, when he addressed the media, spoke to us, answered our questions – uh, Thursday at the Novacare Complex, my colleague Jeff McLean asked him point blank, is there anything to the idea that because the Eagles have five new starters on defense that it should take time uh, for them to get assimilated and to get used to the system, et cetera, et cetera? And Sirianni said, no, that's not an excuse for what happened Sunday. It shouldn't be an excuse going forward. So, And, and, and Nick was very cut and dried about that. So, yeah, I think I think Brian's making a, a good point, and I, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong. It certainly sounds like you're skeptical about Jonathan Gannon. Well, you you've nailed it, Mike and Glenn, both of you. That uh, you you can't afford to squander a season when your offense is performing relatively well. We know the NFC East is up for grabs, but I can tell you this: it looks like the Giants and Commanders actually may not just be a pushover. So, I mean, you have to maximize the talent on your team, and so I'm saying this to say that if you know, you get to a certain point, maybe by the time they, you know, they have that bye, where this defense is not performing up to snuff, you may have to make a change. You may have to do what the Phillies did. Well, you, you, you it, it wouldn't happen. Season. It wouldn't. Brian, thanks for the call. It would not happen in season. Well, I mean, theoretically, it could. I guess it, it has. It could, but it's It's not. a very rare, very rare thing to happen in yeah, season. Yeah, it's not going to happen in the middle of the season. It's just not. 215-592-9494. We're looking forward to talking to you in the next segment, as well as our pal John Clark of NBC10 and NBC Sports Philadelphia, who's, uh, you know what, hardest working man in showbiz. We'll Airport talk. Johnny. Here. He's the greatest. He is, man. Mike and Glenn on 94 WIP. All right, Mike, one of the pleasures for me on Monday when I go to the Eagles game is I sit in the press box, usually behind you. Yes. You throw things at me. I have. Uh, and to my right is one of my favorite people from NBC10 and NBC Sports Philadelphia, 
John Clark and John and I sit around and gossip about people and make stupid bets all night. It's, <laughs> it's a good time, John. It is a great time. That's a nice intro. Thanks for saying that. And hopefully we can get our uh, $1 bets going again this year. Yes, we <laughs> We always do. I think that one, that single dollar has gone back and forth between our wallets for about four years. All right. Let us <laughs> start. Money. No, that's right. <laughs> let us start with this. We knew A.J. Brown was going to be good, but boy, the most dominant wide receiver we've seen around these parts since Terrell Owens. I know it's just one week and reckless to say, but boy, he had a beast mode. And he did something else interesting this week that, that you, um, I know you tweeted about, probably talked about involving his phone and social media. What did he do and why did he do it? Yeah, I think this says a lot about him and his mindset. He took off the apps. Uh, he didn't delete his social media, but he removed the apps of social media from his phone because he didn't want to be looking at all these things saying how great he is, how amazing he is. And after the game was over, uh, one of the things he said to me in an interview was, Hey, look, my, my family's going to be all hugging me and congratulating me and saying you had a great start with the Eagles, but I can't listen to that, and I'm going to flush this. I'm going to flush this pretty much immediately, and I'm going to get ready for the next opponent and try to have just as good or better game. So I, I think that says a lot about his mindset, and, and he wants to be great every game. So I think that says a lot. I think my wife would like me to take my social media apps off of my phone so <laughs> be more engaged in the conversations I have with her. Uh, John, what's your take on the Eagles' defensive performance Sunday against the Lions? We've been batting this around, and it's obviously been a di big discussion topic all week. W what did you make of it? First week craziness or something that troubles you a little bit? Well, first, congrats to you, Mike, on joining a great show there with Glenn. It's uh it's a must listen every every Saturday. So, congrats Thank you. to you. Thanks. Um, and good free agent acquisition, Glenn. Good there thing. you go. Thank you. The signing bonus was incredible. Oh, I, I'm 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 not counting much against the cap, John. I really am not. We deferred it all. Well, Glenn had a good off season as well. Um, look, you know, it was a bad performance, and uh, I do think the Lions' offense is better than people give credit for this year. The running backs are really good. The line is a pretty good line, really good line when, when they're healthy. Obviously, they weren't healthy. Um, and and St. Brown is a pretty good receiver. Um, but it was, a, it was a bad performance. And, you know, look, I, I look back to the year the Giants won the Super Bowl, and I remember those first couple games uh, with John uh, Spagnuolo. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I remember how they gave up like 38, 40 points, whatever it was, the first two weeks. And then they really figured things out. So he does have some new pieces on that defense. And hopefully he utilizes them a little better than, than week one. Um, but hopefully it's just week one. I mean, Javon Hargrave, in my opinion, um, just from watching up in the press box, it didn't look like he had a really good start to the game. Um, so I think some of these guys, maybe they'll get going. Uh, some of them didn't have much of a, you know, a, a preseason performance in the game. So uh, it's week one. A lot of crazy things happen in week one. So if they do have another bad performance on Monday Night Football, then I think it's time to start worrying. But I'm going to say it's week one, some new players, and, and hopefully a better week two. Yeah, and you mentioned the Giants in those years. I also remember Belichick over the years has had week, seasons where he would lose week one to the Bills and 
Well, my dad, the Bills fan, would get all encouraged, and then the Patriots would be thirteen and three, and the Bills would be seven and nine. So yes, I I think that happens a lot. But specifically, Hassan Reddick was a disappointment in that game, and he said something this week. Uh, Mike, you and I kind of talked around this. I'll ask John and then ask you to comment. And he said, Hassan Reddick said this week, there are a lot of things that go into it, the game, that the fans don't realize, the fans don't know, and I'm not going to get into that. Fans are going to say what they want to say and have their own opinions no matter what anybody says. So I wasn't worried about that. I know it's Philly. I know it's a tough crowd. I'm not going to let it phase me. The only thing I'm worried about is playing great football. Well, he didn't play great football, John. Is there something I'm not seeing that that I would have known if I was sitting next to you in the press box? That's a good question. Um, Obviously, Hassan has a special skill set, being able to line up from just about anywhere, um, put your hand in the ground, um, or, or, you know, as a linebacker and and rushing from both sides. And, you know, I did see once or twice he he, he dropped into coverage. Um, Look, I mean – he is a new toy, a weapon, and, and maybe Jonathan Gannon is trying to figure out the best way to use him. Um, and, and obviously in week one, they didn't get the production that, that they wanted out of him. And Hassan, you know, he said he was disappointed for an Eagles debut. Um, but I do think, I do think you're going to see more from Jonathan Gannon this, this week, Monday night, because I do think, they believe, hey, we're facing a better offense. You've obviously got Justin Jefferson. They're going to have to uh, bracket coverage. They're going to have to double team, and they're going to have to do a lot more. So I do think you're going to see uh, a more imaginative defense, a more innovative defense than you saw in week one. Yeah, it's interesting, John. I, my concern about Gannon, and I, Glenn and I, again, have kind of talked about this a little bit, is uh, I wonder if he's wedded to his scheme so much that – it, he kind of overthinks it, you know, and I've said it a couple of times. Any snap where Hassan Reddick is dropping back into coverage to me is a waste of what he's best at. And I mean, that would be my concern, that, that the scheme takes such precedence over the talent that Gannon's not going to extract the best out of a guy like Reddick or, you know, some of the other players on the defense. Hey, look, I agree with you about that. I think Hassan Reddick, just let him do what he does. Because I remember interviewing Hassan over the summer on my podcast, and he said he has only been an edge rusher for two years now. That they were trying to figure out how to use him in the NFL, and he finally found his role, and he's been excellent at it the last two years. I completely agree. I don't want to see him dropping back into coverage. It reminds me of when Chip Kelly got to Philly, and they're dropping Trent Cole, Brandon Graham, whoever, back into coverage. No. Let them do what they do best. And, uh, I mean, I, I did like the five-man fronts that I saw from Jonathan Gannon. And um, uh, hopefully Hassan Reddick will have a bigger presence on the game Monday night. I, I am believing that because I, I think they will try to be a little more innovative with him, bring him from all over the place, and not drop him back into cover. Well, it should be interesting. And you mentioned your podcast, which is Takeoff with John Clark, which is a terrific uh, must-listen you uh, had Daryl Morey on this past week. Mike, I know you wanted to specifically ask a question about something Morey said. Yeah, so, John, you had tweeted out this quote from Morey, which to me was really revealing. He told you, you had asked him what some of the things that, I guess, surprised him about his time with the Sixers and being in Philadelphia. And he said, quote, I'd say the biggest surprise is the players who can't play here. I really do pay attention to the mindset of players. Can they handle playing in Philadelphia? because I do think it's a different thing. 
What did you make of that? Was that was he was that a veiled reference to anybody? Just kind of your your take on Maury's insight there. Well, look, I, I've heard Larry Boa say it about Phillies players um, who, who came here and they just couldn't handle the crowd, the pressure, the intensity. And I think Daryl Morey found that out with Ben Simmons. I mean, Ben comes to them and says, I don't want to play here anymore. I don't want to play in Philly. I don't want to play for the Sixers. You saw Carson Wentz say, this just isn't the best situation for me anywhere, whether it's the city, everything that had happened. But Daryl Morey, in his offseason signings, I think he went out and got guys who have that dog in them, uh, that toughness. And you look at it with P.J. Tucker, Montrez Harrell, and some of these other guys they got. That is, those are Philly players. Those are tough, defensive-minded, scrappy players that will get in somebody's face and the energy that they're going to bring. So I do think that that has – affected his decision-making. Daryl Morey, I'm talking about, as far as the type of players you bring in here. There's got to be a reason why the Sixers team has shrunk in the game sixes in the second round the last couple of years. Ben Simmons was obviously the guy a few years ago, and some of the guys did not come up big in the biggest pressure moments. You saw the Heat, E.J. Tucker, Jimmy Butler come up big. So Daryl's being brutally honest that there probably were certain guys that they did not consider – and maybe even some guys that are just like, nah, I'd rather go to somewhere nice and warm all year and don't have to deal with the pressure, the microscope, and the intensity of the fans. So I think he was being really honest, and he saw it with the Eagles as well and other teams. All right, finally, you tweeted uh, a couple hours ago, Doc Rivers' Twitter account was hacked? What's going on here? Well, I I didn't even know this until I woke up, but I guess uh, Doc Rivers' Twitter account, through the night or whatever, had liked uh, some, let's just say, adult Twitter sites or adult tweets. And, uh, and and I guess what I'm told is that Doc Rivers was kind of woken up in the night by a friend saying, hey, you better check out your Twitter oh, account. Oh, no. Wow. And, then, and, then, and then Doc contacted the Sixers, and then, of course, they're, they're on it, and they're taking care of it, and they've, they've undone the likes and everything. Um, and so his Twitter was hacked. They're trying to get it completely back, but – uh, yeah, Twitter seems to be having a field day with this one. John, and, uh, John what I, is I, I, I what's John, that? John, what is it with the Sixers and Twitter? First, Brian wow. Colangelo, now Doc Rivers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're making a list. You have a top ten list of all the crazy things that have happened to the Sixers, and this is just another one added to it. But I, I got to tell you, I, I change my password now every month or so, because I've known some people who have gotten yeah, hacked, and good I got idea. hacked them on Instagram. And it's so same. it's a lesson for all of us. You know what? I think I'm overdue for all those. Uh, John Clark, it is always a pleasure. Um, follow. Where, where do people get the podcast? Where can they find it? Well, I appreciate that. Uh, Take Off with John Clark is on iTunes and every single place where you can listen to your podcast, as well as YouTube. And uh, it, it really is a good interview with Daryl Morey, because I think – it shows you where James Harden is really at, that, that he truly maybe realizes at 33 that he, you know, he's every year is precious now at this point, and his hamstring is good, and he's getting into better shape, and he's training differently to, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's bought in, and he really wants to try to win a championship with Joel. Uh, so, would, would love that. Uh, and, of yeah. course, you can see John on uh, NBC10. You can see him on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Just go hang around an airport gate. He'll show up. Uh, I will see you at the game tomorrow night, and I look forward to it. 
All right, let's go uh, Jalen Rager over under yards on yards per punt. We'll, we'll bet a dollar on that. Uh, okay, Ooh. I'll take under five. <laughs> think you might win that one. All right, see you, John. <laughs> Thanks, John. See you, guys. All right, be well. Great guy. Oh, he's the best. Yeah. He's the best. And, you know, we kid him about the airport thing, but honestly, it shows – his hustle. It shows oh, how yeah. hard he works and yep. how seriously he takes his job. Yep. It's, it's great. It's, it's always something to look forward to. Brian in Norristown joins us. Hey, Brian. Brian, you Glenn, with us? Yeah, Glenn Mack, now, how are you? Hey there. Welcome, Mike, to WIP. Thank you, Brian. Now, listen, uh, I have questions in the player. Uh, in regards to the Eagles, I'm not sold on Gannon. I wasn't sold on him last year. And the first game wasn't that good for a defensive player or a defensive team that played. I know maybe there was no practice, no hitting, no nothing. How many weeks do you go before you start making a change on a defensive coordinator? Wow, that's two two, two calls, calls this hour yeah. to that. Mike, uh, I'll let you hear. Yeah, I, Brian, I really don't think that's going to happen, no matter how poorly the defense plays. You're, you're, you're going to have to – the Eagles are going to have to be really, really bad defensively to make a change uh, – you know, in their coordinator in the middle of the season, just it re- so rarely happens in the NFL, and um, it, it would be it would be shocking if that happened. Well, in regards to both of you, and I want to see what your both of your opinions on this. There's a former player who would love to be defensive coordinator to this team, who was a very good player for this team years ago. And that's Seth Joyner. I knew that's the name you're going to give. <laughs> I love Seth, and I think Seth would be a great coach and. I have been in conversations with Seth where he's talked about that. He did an internship with the Bills a couple mm-hmm. of years back. Um, I will never say anything against Seth Joyner or him becoming eventually a coach, and I think he would be great if that's what, if that's what he chose to do. I have this vision of Seth running his defense in the exact opposite way that John and oh, Jonathan Gannon does. No where, question about you know, it. You're surprised when the Eagles blitz under Gannon. You would be surprised if the Eagles didn't blitz under Seth Joyner. But he was such a smart player. Yeah. Man, he I mean, people remember Seth for his intensity, but Seth was a really smart player and a legendary hard worker who would spend the week breaking down film mm-hmm. and knowing everything. Seth would be a great coach. If Seth ever wants to be a coach, he'd be tremendous. Kenny joins us. Hello, Kenny. How are you doing? I'm doing great, uh, Mike. I hope you realize the legend that you're uh, sitting next to. Oh, and, I, uh, I I believe I appreciate it very much, Kenny. He's he's the reason I'm here. And... No, Ray left. <laughs> no. Glenn's the reason why I'm a caller to WIP. I will always uh, yeah, way back. Always be grateful to Glenn. Yes. Yeah. Um, before I get to my Glenn, what you talk about with the quarterbacks and everything? Before I get to that, I get a very quick Michael Brooks story for you. Uh, oh, okay. Um, uh, my sisters were cheerleaders, and I got drugged to this cheerleading tournament at LaSalle University back in the day, and I was bored out of my mind. And in the court behind where I was sitting, there was one guy just sitting there shooting, and I recognized him right away and went up and got his autograph and talked to me for a while. It was just Michael Brooks and me. Before he got drafted, he was still at LaSalle. And uh, I'll never forget that. What, what a nice, humble, quiet, um, intelligent man he was. And he was so nice to me. I think I was – 15 or 16, I don't remember exactly how old I was at the time, but uh, um, it was just one of those rare moments that you get a one-on-one with somebody and no one knew who he was. And yeah, really nice. For me. Very that, nice. That's really cool, Kenny. Now, Glenn, uh, I, I was six years old, 1971, my first Phillies game, or any Phillies game, and from that point forward, one thing I've learned, every quarterback in town 
must throw for 100% completion with zero interceptions. <laughs> yep. Every every slugger must hit a home run without ever striking out anytime someone's on base. Every goalie must have a 1,000% goalie. percentage. You know what? That's goalie a, fits it, that's too. That's a great one, yeah. That's, that's right. Yep, yep. And the only position that's forgivable if they have a bad night is starting pitcher. Steve Carlton went 27-4 and four in that one year. 27-9. and 27-10, and and excuse me, yeah. That's the only position that gets forgiven. And the rest, if – I mean, I've seen – I've been at games where um, last year, Tom Brady overthrows somebody, not a word. Uh, Jalen Hurts overthrows somebody, he sucks. It's – I've never been ever to an Eagles yeah, season it, it ever goes, in my life. It goes with yeah. the job. But I will say – and, Kenny, a pleasure, man. Thanks for checking in. Thank Love you. hearing from you. Thank you, Kenny. So, I always wondered, like, it's not – just a Philadelphia phenomenon, right? right. It's got to no. be in other cities, too. Sure. So this goes back away, but this is, again, when I was writing for the Inquirer, and I was, for a couple of years, the NFL guy. Oh. So um, they had the guys who covered the Eagles, and mm-hmm. I covered the NFL. And so the playoffs would come, and I would cover a game somewhere else. And I remember I went to Buffalo. I was the rare guy who said, like, I'll go to Buffalo. My <laughs> folks live there. It was my hometown. I'll go see people I grew up with. There sure, go. I'll go. I'll bring my snow boots. And I went to Buffalo for a Bills-Dolphins playoff game. Bills crushed them. Mm. Um, but I'm listening to their talk radio. The I think, you know, I arrived on a Friday or whatever. And they're saying, and there's a guy calling and like, Jim, Ke- they got to bench Jim Kelly. They're not going to win with Jim <laughs> Kelly. They got to bench, they got to put in Frank Reich. They well, got to bench Kelly and put in Frank Reich. Glenn, in fairness, did Jim Kelly author the greatest comeback in NFL football No, and history? I was at that game too. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you've told I me that. The, yeah, that was. That was one of the favorite things I ever covered that game. That was just an amazing thing, and Frank Reich was pretty amazing. Quick quick story about that. I know we got to get to a break. I can remember driving with my parents to my grandparents' house in northeast Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and we had that game on the radio. And between the time that we parked the car and got into their twin house, the Bills scored two touchdowns. To, to go to make it from thirty five to three yeah. to thirty five to seventeen, and we came in and watched the rest of that game, and it was incredible. Oh, when it happened, it happened fast. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty pretty damn amazing. Uh, Jerry and Rick, stick around. We will get you guys coming up two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now on ninety four WIP. On the road in Seattle from sixty four, McManus. And the Seahawks are going to win this game. All right, so that was the end of Monday Night Football when Denver goes into Seattle and Russell Wilson gets booed. Very weak fan base. Yeah, not good. Not Russell Wilson. No. Anyway. Super Bowl winning quarterback, you know, terrific player. Come on. And, And the rookie coach of the Broncos plays it really oddly uh, at the end when they have the opportunity to go down the field and score plays plays for a field goal and as you just heard ends up having Brandon McManus Temple kid attempt a 64 yarder which he doesn't make it's rare to find on Twitter total unanimity about any issue but in the aftermath of the end of that game the ridicule of Nathaniel Hackett, the Broncos coach, was as universal as anything gets on social media, and deservedly so. How in the world do you melt the clock 
for a 64-yard field goal. When you have Russell Wilson as your starting quarterback. Yeah. Makes home, no sense. Home, back home going for revenge. And by the way, to Hackett's credit, for whatever it's worth, he said afterward, like, yeah, I kind of screwed up, didn't I? Um, what's f- funny on a personal level, and we've talked a lot about social media today, is last weekend I was just thinking, and then I tweeted something along the lines of, in my entire life I've never seen one position in sport or one aspect of any sport improve as much as place kicking has over the course of my lifetime. Because when I was a kid, back then, I mean, a 40-yarder was considered a long field goal. Yeah, yeah. And you still had some of these straight-on kickers, you know, the Mark Mosleys and Mm -hmm. those guys. And now, this did not prove true, but when I wrote it, it's like now 50-yarders are routine. Guys never miss. And then, of course, last week they all missed all of them. Yeah. I, I, you have a column about this. I, this I week. do. So I talked to Jake Elliott, the Eagles kicker, um, this week about this game, about the Seahawks-Broncos game and what goes into the thinking of both a kicker and kind of a coaching staff as a whole when they're trying to set up um, a situation like that. And, you know, I find – this is just me. I find kickers fascinating uh, because the whole – idea of football is big, strong, you know, 6'6", 350, you know, colliding into each other. Mm-hmm. And yet, Jake Elliott's, what, five foot eight, I think, you know, whatever he is, 175 something. pounds, something like that. And more, you know, so many times during the course of a season, the, the outcome of a game comes down to him or a guy like him, you know, kicking the ball through the uprights. And those guys live with their thoughts. Well, funny you should mention that because the one that put Jake Elliott on our map was... Hold your breath. Ball is spotted. The kick is away. And the kick is... It's gone! And the Eagles win! This is that dream I talked about. They win! He's had this dream before. 61 yards! The longest kick in Eagles history. I don't have to tell people that was against the Giants. It was the Super Bowl season. It was the moment I think a lot of people thought, like, ooh, something special is happening here. And it was. That was his first game at Lincoln Financial Field. Yep. It was his second NFL game because, trivia question, he was not the kicker at the start of that season. Who was the original kicker on the 2017 Super Bowl team? Yep. Yeah. Got, hurt in, the, got hurt in the opener. That's right. And, and, Part- I used to see Caleb Sturgis hanging around the NovaCare Center while he was rehabbing, and Jake Elliott's on this amazing run, mm-hmm. and just looking at Caleb Sturgis, is like, oh, you're a dead man walking. Yeah, I'm not going to be working here anymore. Um, but but that gets to why I think kickers are so interesting, is that those guys live with their thoughts in a way that no other football players do. Uh, it's it's not un- all that unusual to see a basketball player who has trouble shooting foul shots like Ben Simmons did, or you hear cases of Steve Sachs disease in baseball where a second baseman can't throw the ball to first anymore, right. gets a mental block. Mackie Sasser. Couldn't throw the catcher, he couldn't throw the ball clutch, back to the pitcher. Right. Right. Of course, it's called, and the name of it is Steve Blast disease. Exactly. Um, and that lives, to me, and I've talked to Jake about this before, that's something that kickers live with. Just the idea of if I get out of my routine, if I get out of a rhythm, if I just miss one kick, my career could be over Um and I have this very specific job that if I don't do it, the entire team is going to look at me as a failure. You know what the closest job in sports that would be, I think? Closer. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. That's 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 a good analogy. Because closers, they'll sit around. They know it's uh, the ninth inning's coming. We got a three to two lead. It's my job to do this, and if I fail, mm-hmm. yesterday, Sir Anthony, yeah, you yeah. know, the whole thing's on me. Yeah. The the other thing I was going to say too at the, the start of the conversation, the only other position that I think comes close to improving as much as kicking has over time is NHL goaltender. Go watch, yes, I know. Go watch goaltenders from the 70s. They look like they can barely stay on their skates. But it has not helped the game. True. The game was better when you would score on, what would that, I don't know, 10, 12%, right? 880 was a mm-hmm. decent, say, percentage. Yeah. Now it's like 920. Yeah, well, now the— And the, the equipment is so light. You know what? A big part of it is the equipment is so light. Equipment's light. The better athletes who go into hockey have started going into goaltending. Goaltenders are bigger, they're quicker, they're faster. All those things. It's it's interesting how it's changed over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not to the, not to the not to the improvement of the sport. Uh, Jerry in Newcastle is with us. Hey, Jerry, Glenn, Mike, what's happening, guys? You're listening to it, Jerry. Hey, hey, Mike. I, I, I want to just welcome you to uh, you're uh, sitting next to a legend. Ray Dittinger's not I, here. I said earlier, Ray <laughs> left, but thank you. Uh, thank you. Hey, Glenn, now I go back from when you guys were at McDonald's back. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, Jody yeah, and me, back in the day. Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, I used to love that. Okay, now I'm a truck driver, but I want to be a regular caller to your show because nice. you guys, Mike, Mike, you guys have uh, – you have great content, and dude, you're and you're funny, dude. I thanks. You, I want to let you know. Um, it's completely but unintentional. Wanna, <laughs> but I, I want to be known as nails on your show every Saturday. I want to come on and call you because I'm home on weekends. I'm a truck driver. I love the Phillies. We, I didn't, we, I, Jerry, I, we can't. I wanna, we can't do that, Jerry. Nobody's allowed to give himself his own nickname. That's yeah, not yeah. how this no, works. No, 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 no. And I was not giving myself my own nickname, but trust me. <laughs> okay. All right. What do you it got was, on? What do you was, got on the Phillies nails? Okay. Here, here we go. Um, they, they. Well, we know they're going to be in the playoffs. But what happened last night is just—it's uh, unexcusable. I, I go. I. I I go to bed. I had to go to bed at a certain time because, and I still didn't get right. up on time. I go to bed at two to one. I'm like, all right. Sound like everything was going good. And I uh, checked the score, and I'm like, seven to two. Yeah, fell apart. I'm like, what? 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 I, fell I, apart. And Sir Anthony has been very good and very reliable, and so everybody's allowed a bad day, and he had it in spades. I oh, mean, yeah. every everything went wrong. Well, you know, guys, it's I don't know. I, I guess I've seen it too long. You know, I, uh, Jerry, I, I, I hear you. Or nails, don't get discouraged. Yeah. <laughs> don't get discouraged. Thank you, thank you. You got it, buddy. And we'll, and we'll talk to you again. And I, drive carefully. Um, yeah, you know, nails. But but I agree with your. Uh, I'll I'll take it on faith that someone else has given him the name nails. I hope so. I'm not I big so. on. Well, I guess I'm big on nicknames. Whatever. But you, the rule number one is you no, can't give yourself your own nickname. No. I'd like to be called Biff. Like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it just doesn't. No. Uh, Rick and Easton. Hello, Rick. Gentlemen. Uh, nice to hear from you, pal. You too, my friend. Uh, as you both know, uh, McManus also played for North, North Penn. North Penn High School. So even though he's not a legend yet, uh, Ray, God bless him. He was the best. You are sitting next to a good man. By the way, Mike, when you get a chance, ask Ray to show you his article he wrote 
or you don't have to be a lawyer to be an agent in the NFL. It was a great piece. That's how far back we go, Glenn. Yeah. No, I wrote that coach, piece, not Ray. I wrote that piece way back in the day. <laughs> not Ray. That was me. Yes, I real, did. Real, real yep. quick, guys. Coaching a very technical sport in the, in the toughest wrestling state in the country, Pennsylvania, I, I, I just wanted to get your opinion. We always talk about the players having the rough and the players not being ready for the speed of the game, which is why preseason is so critical. Coaching in the NFL, forget about high school and forget about college, coaching in the NFL is not an easy job. And I think sometimes we overlook the fact that when they don't have preseason games with their starters, they put themselves, the coaches, behind the eight ball sometimes because they don't look like they're ready for prime time, the speed of the game, and the rust is on when their starters are out there, i.e., Reddick, Reddick, Reddick's all we heard, but didn't he drop back into coverage like he was a linebacker instead of the edge rusher that we need? I think the coaches need preseason, too. I, I think you make a great point about that, Rick, and you're right. I've seen some analyses, you know, numbers that suggest Reddick dropped back about 20% of the time. Now, other people who were at the game say it wasn't quite that much, but um, I'm with you, and I think that there is something to be said for the idea. You know, I'm, I'm not one of these people who says the Eagles should have played all their starters throughout the preseason or necessarily should have played them more, but I do think there's something to be said for the idea that it might have helped Jonathan Gannon maybe get a better sense of things if he had, you know, coached Reddick in a game situation a little bit more during the and preseason. And also, let's not forget, these are a bunch of first- and second-year coaches and the speed of the game. You saw the, you saw the movie invincible when they were trying to show you the speed of the game with Papali in that one Dallas Cowboy clip, how fast the yeah. game is. People don't realize on the sidelines how quickly See, the game really is. But Rick, here, here's yeah. the thing. And, and as always, thanks for the call. You got to learn. There's no learning curve. Yeah. It's the NFL. You're yeah. not allowed. It used to be that they would bring in a guy and it's like a five year plan. Mm-hmm. Right. And Dick Vermeil yes. came in. You wrote that great piece on Vermeil a couple months ago. Dick Vermeule was not expected to win when he first got here. And That's it right. took him a few years and he got the team to the Super Bowl. These days, if you don't win by year two, we'll see you later. Yeah, and, and that's, I would argue, doubly true for the quarterback position because of the yeah. salary cap, because you want to maximize that period where your prospective franchise quarterback, the guy you took in the first round, is on his rookie contract, and you have all this salary cap space to be able to use to put pieces around him. Again, I've mentioned this before. That's why the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017-2018. They weren't using a lot of cap space that season on the quarterback position. They got incredible, excellent play from Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, and they were able to to build a team around them capable of winning a championship. Uh, I think you're 100% right. Patience is out the window in the league now. So the story he was referring to, and gosh, I did write that a long you – know, again, it's when I was with the Inquirer. That was, was a long time ago. I was ago, with the Inquirer from 87 to 93, which is when I came here, okay? And there were, at the time, there were scandals in the NFL with agents who were taking money and misrepresenting players and so on. And basically I did a story where I, w- I became a certified NFL agent. Wow. I have no law degree. I know very little about finances. I can certainly tell you that. Mm. Uh, I've never negotiated anything. And I went to an NFL, uh, NFLPA-sponsored conference and got my certification as an NFL agent. 
And my point in doing so was to show just how ridiculous it was. Mm-hmm. Ooh, they got NFLPA got mad at me. Oh, I'm stunned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, that was a lifetime ago. Wow, that's a, what a great idea for a story. It was, uh, was kind of cool. Two, it, it was two day seminar in D.C. That's all. I had to go and sit in this two day seminar and then like write the short essay and then and I could represent NFL players. Whew. Never got a client. I'm stunned. Yeah. 215-592-9494 with Mike Sielski. I'm Glenn Mack now. Hey, it's back to school time, and that means it's also time to drive the kids everywhere. To and from school, sports practices, doctor's appointments, you name it. Luckily, United Tire has some sweet deals to make sure your car is in tip-top shape for your kiddos. Now through September 30th, United Tire is offering a rebate of up to $150 on select Goodyear tires. Stop by your local United Tire today and take advantage of these A-plus deals while they last. Don't drive alone. Drive United. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now. So I just did something that I've wanted to do for like 20 years, which is so we just had the commercial for Motel 6 with Tom Bodette. Mm-hmm. And I've been listening to Tom Bodette commercials like 30 years you've been leaving the light on for him for right a while. and he's got a great voice and i like who's tom Bodet? yeah so i just looked him up he is a longtime radio guy he used to have a show on npr for years focusing on authors and books he's love it number one love authors and books <laughs> okay. secondly he's got the kind of voice that's perfect for him he's got a great voice so if i said tom Bodet, what do you think he looks like uh, I'm guessing balding, um, glasses, kind of professorial. Well, I can't tell you about the balding because he's wearing a hat. By the way, he is 67 years old, and this is what he looks like. Oh, okay. There you go. That's a good-looking guy. Glasses, goatee. Yeah, glasses, goatee. There you go. Pleasant-looking guy. Anyway. Interesting. Always, it's just like yeah. there's certain names that you'll like hear them on the radio for years and mm-hmm. years, and like, well, you have in your mind their view. By the way, Mike and I are much more handsome than you would think when you actually see us. Oh, that's 100% accurate. There you go. Uh, okay, you wanted to bring up a uh, Flyers point about the coach. we got a couple minutes to kill here. What do you think? Well, I thought it was interesting this week, and again, you know, you and I are kind of to a degree lamenting the fact that the Flyers have become so irrelevant yeah i mean we never talk about him and we never talk about him for reason but yeah there was some something of meaning yeah so john tortorella did an interview this past week in which he said that he's not going to name a captain uh and more than that he said that he had a had realized or observed that there were problems in the room in in a typical kind of hockey phrase meaning that uh, there was dissension in the team and maybe lacking leadership. It could. It was kind of. I took it that he obscure. And I I, in, I took it from what he said that he did not think there was a winning attitude in the room, and enough. Oh, what was the phrase that uh, Laviolette used to use? Jam. Yeah. Enough jam. Yeah. And I'll be honest, Glenn. Like I think that's been true of the Flyers' locker room for a while. Uh, it's something that I've heard, to be very honest, from previous coaches. Um, my question is, how does Tortorella already know that? He hasn't been here that long. It's not like he's the season has started and he's really, you know, gone through the gauntlet with these guys for a couple of weeks yet. Uh, don't so, know. Yeah, I just wonder about that. I don't know, but I actually like it. I mean, it mm-hmm. it, it seems a shot at Couturier, who would be the obvious choice for captain. Sure. 
and for whatever reason, he thinks it's not there. But look, I think this team needs, you know, serious heart surgery. I think it needs heart surgery. I think it needs an infusion, major infusions of talent. I think they would be better off. Uh, I, the, the thing that, if I were a Flyers fan, that would worry me is that Tortorella <laughs> will push them to win more games than they ought to win. There is a prospect coming out in the draft, uh, Bedard. Yeah, right. He's it. He's, he's the, the best prospect one. to come into the NHL since Connor McDavid, who's the MVP and probably the best player in the league. And the Flyers, if they're not careful, are going to take themselves out of the running for him right. um, because they're going to be just good So you're a trust-the-process guy with the Flyers now, huh? I've been a trust-the-process guy with the Flyers for a while. Okay. Uh, real quick, Phillies, tonight uh, it is Aaron Nola against Jake Odorizzi. To me, this is their chance to win a game, their best chance to win a game in this Th- series. This is what gives you agita is Aaron Nola pitching in September. I know. We need good Nola. And uh, I'll make my pick on the Eagles tomorrow, but the Eagles-Vikings Monday night football. What do you got 30 to 28 vikings oh oh a heartbreaker as justin jefferson glides into the end zone jonathan gannon has to show me something high-fiving jalen rager along the way (laughs) and his his glutes and thighs dan wilson what did we forget to talk about today a few things i got a few baseball nuggets and then a football thing i wanted to ask you guys about uh number one so this is on a national baseball scale albert Pujols hits number 698 last night for a guy who was basically washed up for, like, the better part of the last decade, looks like he's actually going to get to 700. Uh, this is one of my favorite stories of the season because, yeah, he was playing out the string and he went back home to St. Louis and it was going to be kind of a nice little story as he bats, you know, 120 times this year. But he has become as productive as he was in his prime. Listen, I hate the Cardinals and I hate their success, but he's a huge part of it. He's a great story. I mean, on a larger, on a more regular scale, this is Vanessa Williams going out, or Serena Williams, excuse me, going out a couple of weeks ago with the big moment. Here's the thing, though, Glenn. I think it speaks to the damage that the steroid era did to baseball, Mm. that we have Pujols chasing 700 home runs, and we have Aaron Judge chasing 61 home runs, and they are not bigger national discussion topics. When Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were chasing Roger Maris back in 1998, it was everywhere. Now, yeah. baseball has receded a little bit. Yeah, since part of then. it is the sport is, is. Right. But I think part of the reason it's receded is because of that era. Yeah, it's a great point. Great point. In, regar- right. in regards to the Phillies, two guys who have not been getting discussion locally enough, I believe, are Brandon Marsh and Jose Alvarado. Marsh, a guy who was brought here literally just for his glove, was kind of, and they would work on his hitting. The guy is close to a 300 hitter since joining yeah. the Phillies, and yep. his OPS is 150 points higher than it was with the Angels. And Alvarado hasn't allowed a run in nearly a month for a guy who was sent down the AAA on Memorial Day weekend. Like that 100 mile an hour fastball with a 95 mile an hour slider is actually effective now. I'll take one, you take the other. Which All right. One you want. So, Marsh, I saw on uh, Twitter the other day, someone pointed out that Kevin Long has worked with him to change his stance. His legs are wider in the box, and it's cut down on his stride, and that's kind of the reason this person suspected that uh, he's picked up his hitting as well as much as hey, he has since he joined the if Phillies. A, if a hitting coach can do that, more power to him. In terms of Alvarado, yeah, I thought he was washed. I thought Same. he was done. He has come back. I mean, he's always had the velocity. He can always throw 100. A lefty who can do that, he, you know what? He, oh. He's going to be. Pitching into wow. his 50s. Yeah, it's like having Randy Johnson. And it really game. has helped this team. All I right. got one more quick thing I want to get your thoughts on. And it kind of speaks to the you know the baseball maybe receding debate versus football. 
is on Thursday Night Football the other night, we kind of had a little bit of a debut, which was that the first of a full schedule on Amazon this year. And obviously we've seen plenty of streaming services do baseball games this year, and the reaction has been largely negative, like I can't find the game. Yep. But the other night on Thursday, it seems like everyone found the game fine. I I haven't. The ratings haven't come out yet. At least they didn't this morning when I was coming in because I wanted to see what they were. Maybe I'll discuss this tomorrow with Jody. I am curious how many people found it. And that was a very hyped game, good matchup. People would have real interest in it. As they move forward, when they have Jacksonville versus the Jets, which mm-hmm. they do, how many people are going to watch that game? Um, I got, I was at a play rehearsal for a play that I'm going to be in. And so I got home late and at that point, like, yeah, I'm not going to watch it. Did you check it out? How I, was it? I did not check it out. Okay. Um, but I think it's in, and Dan mentioned this, it's an interesting comparison with baseball because the games, for instance, the Phillies have played that have broadcast on Apple TV have had relatively unfamiliar broadcasting teams. Yeah. And Amazon's That's got Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit. Yeah, yeah, so big. It, it, it is big, and I think people are going to be incentivized to find those games. Yeah, I heard I heard from people that the picture was good, but sometimes jumpy, sometimes the feed was slow. What was I your... didn't have a ton of issues with it. Now, the TV I was watching on had Amazon Prime logged in. Some people I do know had those issues. As far as the broadcast team, that's where I was going to go with this, which is that Herb Street's just a total workhorse. Like He's on college game day this morning after doing a game on Thursday. This is kind of cool for me as a bigger NFL fan than college fan, a guy who I think is really, really good on the college side, now coming over to the NFL side. Yeah. Like he is, he is oh, phenomenal. And he's really and they, smart. They really went out of the water. So, getting so I get Amazon Prime, but if I didn't get Amazon Prime, would I be able to get this game? To my understanding, no. You so that's to. a limited audience, and obviously their hope is to drive people sure. to get Amazon Prime. Correct. Yeah, I mean, look at Which, what NBC— by NB- the way, is great. Yeah, it is great. Besides. But look at what NBC has tried to do with Peacock, for instance. In yeah, the they want to drive you there. Yep, exactly. And that's what they're doing. Well, we'll see. We'll see how those ratings go. Dan Wilson, great job by you. Mike, always a pleasure. Look forward to seeing you. I'm not going to see you Monday. I'll see you uh, yeah. next, next week. Um, so Go Birds Radio coming up with James and Elliot. There you go. Stay tuned for those guys. I will see you tomorrow, 10 o'clock, with Jody Mack right here on 94 WIP. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Oh, 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 Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. 
Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.